Aloha, I'm Tulsi Gabbard. Up the swellions. Yeah. Oh my god. Oh, this fucking dumb wannabe chemist tour. You know, I think they got their his testicles so far up their mouths that this is bullshit, you know? I'm not thinking about that right now. I'm just thinking about having won the world title and, and hopefully trying to win another one someday. You just drop in and just smack the pull back. Drop down. Say bah. Well, I'll tell you, Stu, I did travel some humongous ways. Oh, that looks good, Alvin. Not bad. Ain't that swell with Jed and Vaughn. Oh, those guys are back! Yes, Shredheads, Waxheads, Kooks and Barneys. Welcome to Ain't That Swell, the radio show dedicated to cutting fucking sick. I'm your host, the two-time Gold Cone Piece award-winning surf journalist, Scum Valley's finest himself, the punch-drunk pikey, the sultan of psilocybin, Smivy. Smivy. And I'm joined here, as always, by my loyal co-host and friend, frontman of the Goons of Doom, former editor of Waves Magazine, Surfing World Magazine, uh, Tracks Magazine, Vaughn Deadly. How art thou, Vaughn? Thou art... Buzzing out of thou's head. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having a bit of a melt, Smivy. Um, oh. We've just basically wound up one of the best 40-minute convos we've ever done on this show. Well, the, definitely ever on this show. The word mad comes to mind. Uh, yeah, unbelievable, mate. I don't know. I'm actually speechless, and it's not often that I'm stuck for words, but mm. Fuck me sideways, if Tulsi Gabbard <laughs> isn't the all-time ultimate core lord, swelly and queen. She's going to stick it to the man, tear it down, and build it back up again. Oh, my God. Boy. Well, you know what? When we had Kelly Slater on in Torquay, he posted a photo on his Instagram, uh, you know, thanking the swellians for a great night down there at the uh, Torquay Bowling Club, you know, the finest establishment mm. to ever host the GOAT. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, so he posted a photo, and, and I saw that Tulsi commented on that photograph, and it said, uh, oh, no way, you were on that show. And Kelly was like, what? You listen to these guys? And she wrote back, yeah, they're hilarious. And I was like, "What? hang on, wait, wait. Future POTUS listens to Ain't That Swell, possible swelly and queen. And um, then you recorded uh, an Aloha Bra song, <laughs> uh, which we should have a listen to Yeah, again. we'll play that again. Let's play it. Aloha, brah, here's the keys to my car. Aloha, brah, don't take it too far. Aloha, brah, I've seen you from afar. Aloha, brah, you looked kind of nah. Aloha, friend, I don't mean to offend. Aloha, friend, try my Pakalolo blend. Aloha, brah, that scoob was delicious. Aloha, brah, you're not so vicious. Aloha, sis, what seems to be amiss? Aloha, sis, can I assist? Aloha, mister. I've got a blood blister. Aloha, mister. Could you tune my transistor? Aloha, lady. Is everything gravy? Aloha, lady. Would you like to make a baby? Aloha, brah. That's a bit far. Aloha, brah. I'll put your nuts in a jar. Aloha, sis. I was taking the piss. Aloha, sis. I'm privileged. White male, sis. (laughs) (coughs) Aloha, Trump. Fat white chump. Aloha, Trump. It also means goodbye, cunt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there it is. Tulsi contacted us direct on the DM, and next thing you know, uh, we've teed up 
this unbelievable opportunity, a, a, a one-on-one or a, a two-on-one chat with the goofy-footed POTUS. Unbelievable. Let's get into it, Vaughn. Let's get to it. Yeah, no more mucking around, Smitty. Here she is. Tulsi Gabbard. woo The future POTUS. Welcome to Ain't That Swell. I'm... Uh... Of course, Smivy, the two-time Gold Cone Piece award-winning surf journalist, and I'm joined here in the studio by my loyal co-host and friend, Vaughn Dead, frontman of the Goons of Doom. And uh, A magic day, Smivy. It's a magic day. It's a historic day for surfing, for Ain't That Swell, and for fucking Core Lord X-Vet Queen Legends. How are you, Tulsi? <laughs> Oh man, you you guys should you guys should come on the road and and do my introductions everywhere I go. Oh, we would <laughs> love to do that. We are backing everything you stand for. It's been the the biggest thrill for us to to watch someone with just you know such solid values and beliefs get out there and and take it. Oh, I'm take so, it to the I'm system. so stoked for you, mate. You're a fucking queen. Thanks. You're such a legend. <laughs> uh, do you, you consider do you consider yourself a Swellian? I, I am. I look, I, I've been listening to you guys for, for a little while here and there and cracking up every time. And then uh, let, let's just give your listeners a, um, an insight into how this all came to be. Did I sent you a direct message after I heard you sing your Tulsi song, right? <laughs> yeah, oh. the, the Aloha Bra song. <laughs> oh, Aloha Bra, yes. Right. I Some think of my that's best how work. The, how the connection uh, began, and I'm I'm grateful that you invited me to join you. Thank you so much. Well, uh, mate, no worries. And uh, what do you want to talk about? Like, do you want to talk a bit of surf waffle? Do you want to go straight to the bone? I mean, ultimately, like, we're just uh, we're here to be your corner man. We're uh, we're just here to preserve your gut health, Tulsi. So, what do you want to talk about? <laughs> no one's ever looked out for me in that way before. So, thank you. No one's ever uh, looked out start- for your microbiome. <laughs> kidding me? Uh, only you. Only you. <laughs> um, well, why don't we start in the water? Because that's where all the Swellians, you know, spend most of their time or want to be most of the time. Um, do you mind sort of like taking us through your introduction to surfing and, and how the ocean came into your life? I mean, it always plays a huge role for everyone who grew up in Hawaii. But who pushed you into your first wave? And, you know, did you ever what, – what role did surfing play in your life? Did you ever skip school to go get cones at Ala Moana or something like that? I, uh, growing up in Hawaii, I mean, the ocean, you know, it's it's our playground. And uh, when I first learned how to swim as a little kid, uh, it was taking swimming lessons in a beach near our house. And so the ocean, I I often felt more comfortable on the in the water than on land. Uh, Started out bodyboarding. Um, uh, My friends and actually their mom are the ones who encouraged me to go and they're like, come on, let's go, let's go. And, and they're the ones who I, I really, uh, that, that was when I really, really just fell in love with catching waves. And, uh, when I graduated to surfing, um, I got a, an old beat up like seven Oh gun from a friend of mine See, and yes. just started taking it out on my own at a surf spot, uh, that nobody really went to. It was, it was, it was not very good and just crashed and burned and ate it over and over and over again on the worst board you could ever learn to surf on in shitty waves until <laughs> I get the hang of it. And um, I fell in love with surfing. That's ever sick. Since. That's how you learn. Yeah, but we've seen photos online. Like, you've got a mad backside bottom turn. Uh, you, you got the hang of it. Uh, like, how often do you surf these days? And, like, are you, are you able to sort of find time to, to shred? Uh, not lately these days. It's, it's a little busy, but when I'm, uh, normally if I'm back home, 
Um, I, you know, I usually go back and forth between Hawaii and DC and I'll try to go early in the morning, dawn patrols before I get out and start my day in Hawaii. See. On the campaign trip now, it's it's a little harder because yeah. uh, some of the states we're going to, there is no ocean access. Mm. And plus the water is getting really cold. Mm. I, don't, I don't do so well uh, in that. But uh, we were in South Carolina not too long ago on the plane on my way there. A supporter who I'd never met before sent me a DM on Instagram saying, hey, um, if you want to go surfing down here in Charleston, let me know. I said, absolutely, yes. He hooked us up with a bunch of boards. Mental. Uh, went out early in the morning and uh, surfed with a bunch of veterans, amazing people. What? Yes. The, con- the conditions were absolutely the worst you could ever imagine. Uh, but it was just so, so good just to get in the water. It was amazing. See, you hear that, Swellians? Uh, follow Tulsi's campaign trail and DM her and get her in the water. <laughs> Give her a right. yeah. hey, hey, um, ocean. Bring me aboard wherever you are. Oh, totally. Uh, I'm curious to know, you know, when you were growing up in Hawaii, did did names like Juka Hanamoku and Eddie Aikau and Rel Sun and their contributions and, and the spirit of aloha that they embody, was that something that you were brought up with? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, Rel Sun, especially just as a woman, you know, she was such a trailblazer, not only in how hard she charged, but just her presence and her aloha and, and uh, demeanor, the way she carried herself, uh, you know, at a time when there weren't very many women charging waves like she was, was really an inspiration. And, you know, the, for, for Eddie Aikau, Duke Kahanamoku, I mean, goes without saying, yeah. global legend. But, you know, Eddie, Eddie Aikau, uh, you've, you've seen the bumper stickers and the shirts and everything. I'm sure Eddie would go. That, that's a culture statement mm. right there. Fuck yeah. And something that <laughs> for us as kids, like, brah. Brah. <laughs> you go, go, let's go. <laughs> mantle, mantle. Tulsi would go. That's the, that's the new bumper sticker. Yeah, back in that. Um, there you go. And uh, so – I'm wondering too. Have you ever been to, you know, been up to the Seven Mile Miracle, the North Shore of Oahu? Um, you ever seen like, have we ever surfed a pipe or sunset any of these waves, or have you ever even like sat on the beach at pipe and uh, watched the pipe yeah, masters or the eddy? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I grew. I did not grow up on the North Shore, but we'd go and hang out there all the time when we were kids, and and uh, you know, we we still get out there. Uh, to go surfing. Usually when we go surfing out there, I like a uh, surf spot that is, uh, it's, it's near Mokulaia. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a little bit off the beaten path of the, of the uh, highly trafficked places, which is why I like it. Uh, plus, I, I don't have skills to surf pipe, uh, hmm. even on a small day. I know my limits. But, you know, we grew up going out there, going to Waimea, watching these incredible surfers shred. I'll never forget. I think I actually did paddle out at Pipe one day uh, on a very, very, very small day when John John Florence, he was definitely younger than 10 years old. Wow, and that's that, so cool. Like this little kid with blonde hair running around shredding and everybody's like, yeah, come on, John John. And, you know, obviously the rest is history. But mm. amazing to be able to grow up. Uh, Grew up in and around that community. Sick. Um, that is really cool. They say the worst thing you can do is actually go out at pipe on a small day and just like, you know, have a good look at the reef, uh, snorkel yeah. around it and just see how terrifying it is because, you know, I mean, really? as you know, it's just <laughs> pockmarked and caves and all sorts of, of gnarly stuff going on there. But um, you talk a lot about uh, bringing the Aloha spirit to Congress. 
Uh, what yeah. makes Hawaii so unique and how the islands, you know, made you the person you are today? You know, the Aloha spirit is, um, I think something that, that many people who come and visit Hawaii don't really realize totally what it is. They come and they love our, our home state. They love our islands and they love our people. The thing they say, yeah, of course the beaches are beautiful. The place is amazing, but the kindness that they, and the warmth that they experience from people there, I think really exemplifies, uh, what Aloha really is. You, you know, need, where you, you need that in politics, right? I mean, it's <laughs> needed in politics. We need it. We need it in the world. Yeah. You, know, you see well said. And, and, um, how, how full of conflict both both our country is in our own way, but also the world. You see how the environmental threats that we are facing uh, in so many respects come down to uh, gross uh, greed and consumption and corruption and a lack of care and respect for our fellow human beings and our planet and, and the, the limited natural resources uh, that are provided to us. So, you know, Aloha really um, reminds us that we are all connected, uh, that we are all children of God, no matter where you come from, no matter who you are, the color of your skin, uh, you know, how you worship, if you worship, who you love, none of these things, um, none of these things matter. When we greet each other with Aloha, we're we are greeting each other with respect. And Fuck yeah. Goosebumps. Amen. Amen, sister. <laughs> oh, I got goosebumps from that. I mean, why, why are we not hearing more politicians speak like this, though? It just seems such common sense. Mm, mm. It seems well, so, like, obvious that we've just got to be – we have to treat each conquer. other like this. Divide and conquer. They want us divided so we can – they'll weaken us and divide us. Anyway, hey, Tulsiya, I want to get into it. John, that's that's a really important question, though, is why aren't there more leaders uh, speaking this way? And I think you look at the, the root cause of the problem. You can go down a whole list of issues, challenges, problems that we have in, in the United States, challenges you have there in Australia and in other places. It all comes back to leaders who are self-serving and more interested in their own power, their pocketbook, their wealth, their fame, influence, all of these things, rather than recognizing, hey, look, you've been entrusted with an incredible responsibility to be of service, to look out not for yourself but for others, and to make sure we've got a place to live, we've got a planet for for generations to come. That's that's the difference, and and that's the direction that we need uh, to get back to, really have true servant leaders across all sectors of society. Unreal. Couldn't agree more. Tulsi, I want to go back to when you uh, when you deployed to Iraq in 2004 and then to Kuwait in 2008. And I, I want to know what you were seeing with and dealing with on a daily, weekly, monthly basis working as a medic in a medic tent in the field in Iraq. Uh, well, yeah, my first uh, – well, well, we'll go back just a little bit. You know, it was the – um, it was the terrorist attacks here uh, on 9-11 in 2001 that deeply impacted my life, like so many people across uh, across the United States and across the world. And it was that um, it was that attack that ultimately motivated me to enlist in the military, to go and, and be in a position where I could seek out and destroy the evil that visited us that day. Uh, so I enlisted as a private, shipped out to boot camp in uh, South Carolina in the middle of the summer, and then uh, volunteered to deploy to Iraq in, uh, in 2004, uh, as you said, uh, where I served in a field medical unit 
supporting our doctors and medics and their missions. And every single day, just uh, very directly confronted with the terribly high human cost of war. Mm. You know, the, the very first task that I did, our, our camp was about 40 miles north of Baghdad, uh, within what was then called the Sunni Triangle during the height of the war. Uh, our camp was nicknamed Mortaritaville because of the daily uh, multiple mortar attacks that we got within our camp. And uh, the first task that I had every day was to go through a list name by name of every American casualty and injury that had occurred in the previous 24 hours. And it was heart wrenching every single knowing, you know, these, these are my brothers and sisters in uniform and behind every one of those names, you know, I thought of my own parents and, you know, understood there's, you know, husbands and wives and moms and dads and kids back home, just worried, sick, for their loved ones, safe return home. And ultimately, you know, I, I wondered how many politicians back in Washington, D.C. were laying awake at night thinking about the people, uh, the service members and their families who were paying the price for the decisions that politicians made to send them to fight in this war. And ultimately, it was my experience on, uh, on both of those deployments that uh, led me to come home wanting to be in a position where I could actually make an impact, where I could be a decision maker uh, on issues related to our national security and issues related to war and peace. So that's why I ran for Congress. And, um, and, and that's what I've been doing now for almost seven years, serving on uh, Foreign Affairs Committee, uh, the Armed Services Committee, the Homeland Security Committees, uh, getting high-level national security intelligence briefings, meeting with world leaders, providing oversight over our secretary or our Department of Defense uh, and State Department, and uh, continuing to hone in and, and uh, push these issues of, of our national security mm. and of ending wasteful, unnecessary, counterproductive wars. Mm, mm. And can you, you know, just... Can you talk to us about just the carnage, the torture, the screams, the blood, the gore, you know, that people like you, people in the military have to confront that, you know, the people who send us to war, they don't have to confront this shit, but like, yeah, just the, the actual visceral reality of, of, of war, you know, that that's something that you were looking at on a daily basis. You know, more, more than all of that really is understanding in a very direct way, uh, our own mortality. Uh, there's, um, there was a sign, you know, within the first day or two that we uh, first got to the camp. It was actually January 2005 when we finally got there after we finished all of our training. And we're walking around the camp, figuring out where everything was. And there was a huge sign that I noticed right away at the uh, uh, one of the main gates that our, our security convoys went in and out of. And that sign read in big, huge block letters, uh, is today the day. Mm. And... I saw that sign almost every day that I was there for the year that I was there. And it was just an ever present reminder that any day could be our last. And, um, it caused me to reflect on, you know, what am I doing with my life? Uh, what's my purpose in life? And knowing that my time could come at any moment, my ticket could be called at any moment. I needed to make the most uh, of that time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I'll never forget the, um, the very first 
KIA that we had from our unit from Hawaii. And uh, it, you know, it really jarred me uh, because it wasn't just a theory at that point. You know, it was it was real. Somebody who, you know, I saw at the the tent where we had our gym the night before working out was gone the next day, never getting a chance to say his final goodbye to his parents and, and family back home. And, uh, these are, these are experiences that, um, that, that, that have never and will never leave me. Uh, but, but, you know, the same, the same goes for anybody who goes and serves in, in, uh, in combat. And so that's where, you know, people ask me, why I do what I do, you know, why I'm running for president. You know, it's hard, it's challenging, it's stressful. It's all, it's all these different things. Uh, it's, it's not for me, you know, it's yeah. not for me. It's That's, because there, there are people's lives at stake. Yes. American lives and lives of the people in these countries where unfortunately leaders of, of, uh, our leaders have made decisions to go and, and, you know, go to different countries in the world, topple, uh, dictators that we don't like wage these wars end up causing incredible devastation, pain and suffering in these countries. Mm. These are the people who suffer as well as a result of our foreign policy. And that's what I'm seeking to change. That's why I'm running for president. Yeah. You kind of touched on like what I was going to ask you about next, which was like, when was the moment where you started to, to get a whiff of the fact that the mission that you'd been sent over to do wasn't what you were actually there for, or, you know, like, when did you sort of lose faith in the fact that the people who were your leaders were, were sending you into something that you didn't believe in anymore? Cause you signed up in faith that you were doing the right thing. I and, did. and next I thing did. And you're there watching, you know, friends and, and families of other, you know, all these countrymen perish around you. Like it, yeah. oh, it's yeah, just, no, I believed, uh, I believed the, the lies that we that that we all were told by leaders in our own government that uh, you know we had to go to war to in Iraq we had to go topple Saddam Hussein because you know he had these weapons of mass destruction and you know he was working with Al Qaeda he was going to give him these weapons and posed a serious national security threat to our country so of course you know we we've got to go and make sure that that we prevent that from happening uh, obviously as time went on we began to learn uh, relatively quickly that there were no weapons of mass destruction whatsoever and that this whole thing was a lie. And, uh, you know, we, I think we start, I don't, I don't remember the exact day or date that this happened, but, but beginning to uh, see this uh, facade fall away uh, was incredibly eye-opening that there were other motives at play and those motives were not in the national security interests of our country, which is, you know, that's the oath that we that, that we take mm. as service members. The interests of the country. That's all anyone talks mm. about in, in you know leadership, and they just blatantly lie. They mm. just say whatever that's, they want. Do you know Do you know Johnny Pilger, Tulsi? No. Nope. John Pilger, no. Scum Valley's finest himself, the greatest living journalist alive. He's um pretty tight with Julian Assange, but man, you should you should connect with that guy. Connect with his work. Like he is the. F yeah, I, he's a huge inspiration to me. And uh, anyway, I think you you guys definitely have experienced a, a similar reality. But I, I want to go off the deep end here, Tulsi. Right. <laughs> uh -oh. So uh, cor correct me if I'm wrong, okay? But I'm listening. This is how I see it, right? This is how I see America and by extension, the, re the rest of the Western political establishment, but particularly America. So you've got around half the population 
maybe a little bit more who believe that America's way of life, America's decadence, can only exist at the expense of poor brown, black, yellow, and even white people all over the world. And they stand over weak third world countries, and, and many, the evangelicals in particular, believe this is God's will. Then you've got the other half who believe in brutal truth-telling and compassion. Is that, is that about right? What's your read on that? <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I wouldn't uh, so broadly and quickly categorize everybody in that way. It's a bit simplistic. Um, I think that I, I, it is a bit simplistic. I think there's, um, I think that there's, you know, a, a lot of different people who, unfortunately, leaders in our country, especially, who have for too long uh, perpetuated a foreign policy of this whole thing being a zero sum uh, proposition. Uh, that you alluded to, that that in order for us to win and in order for us to prosper, then everyone else must uh, suffer or lose. Uh, and to me, that that uh, is a false proposition, and it's just not true. Mm. And it's um, it, it's not served the interests of our country nor the world uh, to continue down this path. Mm. Uh, this is something I talk about a lot uh, on our campaign trail. We're doing town halls all over the country and and just talking about the kind of change in foreign policy I'd bring as president to go to to end that zero sum mentality and instead actually be the force for good that I believe the United States of America can and should be uh, leading with a foreign policy that's based on cooperation mm. uh, rather than conflict and actually leading with aloha, you know, recognizing the sovereignty of other nations and, uh, and that we should not, our country should not be in the business of being the world's police. We should not be in the business of imposing, um, you know, look, our, our build, building, trying to build little Americas in other parts of the world, especially uh, in these countries that, that don't want it or aren't, aren't frankly uh, maybe ready for it. Mm, mm. I think actually recognizing and respecting um, people in other nations and their right to determine their own future uh, is something that unfortunately has been lost by those leaders in our country who believe that they know what's best for anyone and everyone better than they do for themselves. Yeah, yeah. There seems to be there seems to be this kind of crusade era thinking at play that like you know if we weren't doing it to them they'd be doing it to us. Like if we weren't standing over them and taking all their shit, they'd be doing it to us. It's like this yeah. kind of siege mentality and it's fucking paranoid yeah, as fuck. <laughs> like, and I, I think, but the, it is. I think the poor white people like myself, you know, I'm a poor white person, but, uh, and a lot of my friends, you know, and a lot of my friends serve, you know, they're, they're in the Navy, in the military and, you know, they go in there to get skills and they come out with a degree in racism a lot of the time. But, um, you know, great people still, uh, they, they get pretty heavily, uh, brainwashed, but you know, like, a lot of the people who vote this shit in, they often lack the education maybe to understand how many resources there are on this planet and how technology has created, if anything, an oversupply, an overabundance of resources. Um, yeah, you know, is that kind of paranoid thinking also what's at the root of this Western imperialist kind of approach to foreign policy and fucking war, perpetual well, I war? Think, I think I think there's two things. There's, there's. Um, I think that it's important to make a distinction between 
uh, where I believe the vast majority of people uh, in the United States are versus uh, the disconnect between the people and many people in, in Washington. Uh, you know, we, we've unfortunately, we're in a place where we've got a government that's that's of, by, and for the rich and powerful. It's, it's controlled and influenced by those who are uh, more interested in lining their pockets or, or improving their bottom lines rather than actually uh, looking at what's in the best interest of the people. And, and on our foreign policy, you know, the vast majority of Americans across party lines, Democrats, Republicans, independents, libertarians, have seen and understand the destructive effect of this uh, long-held foreign policy of being the world's police, and they want to bring it to an end. And um, it's it's oftentimes the influence of the military-industrial complex and the foreign policy establishment in Washington um, that ultimately uh, has seen their stranglehold so strong and continuing because of the power of, of their money that spans across all party lines. And so, you know, really what I'm what I'm doing here and, and, and how our people powered campaign is moving forward is in really bringing voice to the people, lifting up the people's voices so that our our government can actually fulfill the vision that our founders had for this country, which is to ensure that our government is truly of the people, by the people and for the people. Mm-hmm. That seems like such uh, I mean. Thinking about sort of Obama's pre- presidency and uh, you know the the campaign of hope that he brought to that, and just how stifled uh, you know he he became in his leadership. I mean, changing the system and and the sweeping broad changes that you want to bring, that that is like how on earth do you even begin to make that change happen? And secondly, like how do you engage with you know uh, an American public that is not just disenchanted, but feel completely failed on so many levels. Like they, they really, uh, you know, I, I think that there was a, a, a strong belief there when uh, Obama was running that things would change. And then uh, on the back of that, things got a lot worse because, um, you know, they just, they just didn't feel like that hope was delivered upon. So how, how are you going to manage this, uh, you know, these sweeping changes against these giant media machines that are, are working against you. I mean, you have senior members of your own uh, party trying to diminish you. Where do you even start? I mean, obviously, with at the grassroots, talking yeah, to people we, face-to-face yeah. is... We start, we continue, and we push forward uh, by continuing to build this movement of the people that really is the only way to bring about this change. And I think one of the things that I've heard from some folks who, um, you know, were were really active on the Obama campaign and were looking forward to being that change that, that everyone was really so inspired by was that unfortunately after the election, um, what you saw was a, a big change where you had a bunch of Wall Street guys who were appointed to Obama's cabinet, mm. you know, the very, Banks See, that, but this uh, is, don't don't you think that that's the problem? Like, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's obviously the problem. But how do people have so, faith in government when all that hope gets completely put aside by those sorts of appointments? Uh, by changing it, by actually changing it, and and uh, and and this is this is something I talk about all the time. Is it's not just talking about it, but it's doing it. You know, there are incredible people all across this country 
who would love the opportunity to be able to serve our country um, to only see those uh, opportunities going to those who have a lot of money or were big donors to the campaign who are Wall Street bankers or others, uh, I think goes against that very principle of a government of, by, and for the people. And so I'm grateful. You know, I've been in Congress for now almost seven years and have built a lot of relationships, have worked with a lot of folks uh, across all different sectors of our society. Uh, I know that there are amazing people who are really coming at this from a, a true, sincere desire to be of service, not just come in, serve a couple years and then go and, you know, um, profit off of that time mm, in their own mm. in lives. And and to me, this is exactly the kind of cabinet that I would appoint. This is the kind of officials that I would bring into my administration are only those who are deeply committed mm. to actually filling that mandate of service and not doing so based on party lines, mm. actually bringing people have great ideas on how to best serve the country, uh, taking a page out of out of the book of Abraham Lincoln, who formed a team of rivals to gather together and say, I, I'm not interested in, in surrounding myself with yes people or only those who agree with me, but people yeah. who are actually going to be the best of the best to solve problems, to, to, to overcome challenges that will better the lives of the people in our country and, uh, and to help protect our mm. planet. It's so cool because you can be easily become cynical about politicians and politics, but there are a lot of people, you know, you've got, you've got to have that cynical? language of me, <laughs> Smivy. Um, <laughs> but that language of, you know, like reminding people that there are a lot of people who are genuinely there to try and make life better. It's, it's, yeah. it's yeah. a really simple step would just be to redistribute the wealth of the rich and stop standing over poor pricks for all their resources and fucking whatever little <laughs> breadcrumbs they got. That'd be a, a really obvious one. But said you weren't cynical. What? 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 Yeah. Is that cynicism? <laughs> oh, that was pragmatism. Simple. Look, too much over here, not enough over here. Redistribute. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so just, let's, sorry. Look at, let's look at why. Let's look at why that is, though. Again, you if you've got a government of Biden for the rich and powerful, and and you're you're uh, leaving the rest of the people behind, what we end up with is a system of of uh, a tax code filled with loopholes that can oh, be exploited yeah. by the rich and powerful and uh, every small business owner and every uh, individual and family that's working hard is digging deep just to try to pay their taxes every year to be those law-abiding American mm. citizens that they're that they're striving to be so when you turn this governance system on its head and end and uh, end the special access and the high-paid lobbyists and the pack money and all these things that contribute to legal corruption in our own government mm -hmm. and create a government that's of, by, and for the people, then, you, then you're able to actually change these policies, trade policy, tax policy, economic policy, affordable housing, uh, earning a living wage, all of these different things. Then when you're saying, oh, okay, actually, what's actually going to help people the most and have that be the focal point for all these policies that need to be reformed, then things become very clear mm. very quickly. Mm. Colonialism gave us capitalism. Capitalism gave us technology. Technology has given us the power to solve every fucking problem on the planet, but it still hasn't happened, Tulsi. Anyway, my, <laughs> my question finally is, is there enough to go around? Can we live in peace and harmony? Uh, do, yeah, do you agree? Is it, is it possible? Do we, can we just end this war? I've had a gutful, what, man. What, I, one of my one of my uh, uh, favorite Mahatma Gandhi quotes is is uh, something along the lines of 
Mother Earth has given us enough for everyone's needs, but not for everyone's greed. And I think that, again, we look to the amazing resources that we are all provided uh, here on this planet Uh, If we see ourselves not as rabid consumers only looking out for our own selfish interest, but rather as responsible, uh, caring citizens on this global community, this global planet, then we can make better decisions that will have a positive impact on us and our families. Totally. And – Oh, come after us. Look at the data, dude. America, biggest consumers on the planet, highest rates of mental illness on the planet, biggest consumers of pharmaceutical prescription drugs. Like the correlation so obvious. All that consumption, that indulgent consumption, it doesn't do shit for you. It makes you <laughs> fucking miserable. Well, look, we end, believe, end rant. <laughs> we believe in you, Tulsi. <laughs> and for the greater good of America and the world, we want people to get in behind your run for president. I think think that you know like as we said right at the start of the show it is just so nice to hear clear honest you know strong values unclouded by anything and just the truth just told by someone who's who's going who's hopefully, been there who's done it who's served yeah, her country just, a proper working class kind you know well just a hero just a, a proper yeah. service woman you're a fucking legend I, I respect and, and have so much faith in you Tulsi but you know we know you've got a few battles in terms of you know these um you know, social media sites working against you and all that sort of thing. But we did come up with another jingle for you, an ad campaign. Oh, let me hear it. Born in the islands, bruh, with the spirit of Duke and Rill. Aloha coursing through her veins. Her backhand Nuna made the heavens rain. She served her country and people in the wake of 9-11. She saw through the shit and got deep in the pit and decided it was time for change. We believe, we can believe, it's all sick. She hates the war, she defends the poor. We believe, we can believe, it's all sick. She's no reptile or chump. She's no Hillary or Trump. We believe, we can believe, it's all sick. She's the kind and she's kind. She won't toe the line. She'll put a boot and her scorn. Bear up, Corpo Corn. She's our swelly and queen. She's gonna change the scene. We believe, we can believe, it's all sick. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. Thanks so much for coming on Ain't That Swell. You are the Swelly and Queen. Swelly and Queen. We wish you all the best and thank you again for your time. We're not worthy. (laughs) Thank you guys so much. It was uh, awesome to talk to you. And uh, keep spreading the aloha, man. Drop the cynicism. Spread the aloha. Be a part of the solution. That's what it's all about. True, true. All right. Uh, Advice heated. Well said. (laughs) Aloha, (laughs) Tulsi. Aloha, you guys. Till next time. Aloha, So there you have it. Uh, this is going to be a huge episode, Smivy. I mean, that was uh, an unbelievable chat. But coming up next, we uh, we we actually did record this a couple of days or a week or so before the Tulsi interview. Um, this is our 
Rainbow. Where, where were we when we did this thing? Oh, we're in the Rainbow Republic there in the Northern Rivers. And it's, you know, when you're in the Rainbow Republic, surrounded by all the quartz crystal charging Hessians and the, you know, the peace, love and mung bean kind of tribe, it's weird how the planets seem to align. Uh, and of course, who else but Jody Cooper steps up to the plate and uh, strolls into the studio. So we've got... <laughs> Back of Wilson's Creek in the oh, middle of the mountains. Dude, this is a full Swelliot takeover. The chicks rule on this one. The chicks always rule. Uh, uh, surf call was there. It's not Father Earth. It's fucking Mother Earth. It's Gaia. Uh, you know, I'm just... Yeah, let let the women lead. And uh, Jody Cooper, man, fuck. If she could be uh, Tulsi's running mate... Dude, the world would be in great shape. The border was great, but it's getting late, and I'm getting tired now. And you were like magic, it touch, it was static, but I'm getting tired now. The water was cold. The kids were all old and you were on 83 And I am ecstatic that you were so quiet Can we just cry it out? Can we just cry it out? God, I don't know what I want, but I 
There you go, Smithy. A, a, a small reprieve from the non-stop babble <laughs> that's going on from you and me, not from our guests, of course, but um, that was Grace on Mute, the song called 83. Demo's going to be released in early 2020. Uh, if you liked it, her Instagram is Grace on Mute, at Grace on Mute, G-R-A-C-E-O-N-M-U-T-E. Her YouTube is also Grace on Mute. And uh, it's actually, if you want to know who this is, this lovely Gracie, mate, she's been around for a long time, the daughter of Nick the White Wolf Morley. Kidding me? Not joking, bro. I know you know Nick. Nick's the man. Uh, Trace down the documentary, uh, what was it, Greenlight, mm. which charts Nick and uh, his partner's journey uh, or quest to deliver pain relief to cancer sufferers, anxiety and depression sufferers, drug addicts, um, and just all the kind of battlers in the world. And they're delivering plant-based medicines to them. So we're talking CBD oils, THC oils, and the, uh, it's just an incredible film uh, and the results they've achieved from doing that is absolutely remarkable, yeah. mate. It's a fucking, it's a literally a, a, a wonder herb, a wonder medicine, a super medicine. And I will definitely have Nick on the show shortly with a couple other plant-based gurus. Oh, mate, uh, old man. His life is actually unbelievable because in his in his previous life, he was a uh, hairdresser to the stars. He used to do Keith Richards hair, Bono's hair, all these fucking <laughs> rock and rollers. I'm not even joking. That's wild. He was a fashion designer and he's a, he's just dead set, one of the biggest characters in history uh, I can't wait to have him on. Um, but that's his daughter, uh, an emerging Australian talent. Can't wait to see more of her. Keep an eye out for Grace on mute on in you, 2020. Grace, well yeah, played. Well I'm played. mad. Righto, Smivy. Well, uh, it gives me great pleasure to announce that this uh, all-power women episode of Ain't That Swell is brought to you by Resin Obsidian, which is uh, Wifey's brand. Full disclosure, of course. <laughs> Everything's open here on the, uh, the Swillians podcast. But, mate. Uh, well, as, you, lo- as long as I get a, a, a G-string beaver tail. Uh, oh, mate, it's waiting for you. Onesie out of this Vaughn. That's it. But uh, if you guys want to check out uh, a brand that celebrates women sort of owning their place in the lineup, doing it on their own terms, go and check it out. Resin.studio, I think it's called. Uh, what's on there? Like, you know, neoprene wetsuit jackets with bikey prints on the back. Snake will be snaked. <laughs> uh, neoprene surf hats. There's leather. There's all sorts of stuff on there. So check it out if you're looking for something for Christmas yeah. for your loved one or or you just want to get something tough and, and own your place in the lineup like Jodie Cooper and, you know, the girls we hear from on this episode, the women, strong women who weren't scared to just say, Fuck you to all the fucking blokes ruining the lineup with their aggro nonsense. That's mate. right. And always, uh, you know, supporting small ethical businesses is always, uh, yeah, always flies with me deadly. On your Smivy, on your Resin Obsidian. Get on there, folks. I'm trembling. I'm uh, crapping my darks. There is strange rumblings in Shangri-La <laughs> because we have some... How would you even describe her Vaughn? Oh man, absolute uh, beyond legendary. Where, where does where does, where do you end with all the the different adjectives and superlatives? S- superlatives that we can heap upon this <laughs> absolute core lord mm, of the highest absolute. order. Yes, the uh, the word core lord royalty springs to mind. Swelly and queen. Yes, hundred percent up there with Tulsi for sure. Mm, level pegging with the. Uh, the Potus. Be Potus. But, uh, and that would be, Vaughn, would you like to do the introduction? It is a dear friend of mine, a dear friend of the show, a dear friend of Surfing Worldwide. It's Jodie Cooper. Yeah. Wow. What an introduction. I think that tops the list of all the introductions I've ever uh, come across. 
Jody, how does it uh, how does it feel to be here in this uh, rather uh, dank recording studio out in the hills of uh, the Northern Rivers? It's epic. Uh, apart from that, you know, musticky kind of mouldy smell, which I'm wondering where it's come from. Which one of you, or whether it's just this couch I'm sitting on? It's uh, <laughs> it's very pleasant. It's it's quite organic. It feels you know breezy. Cool. It's so good Feels free. to see Jody because I haven't seen you for 10 years or something yeah, like that, ages. back when we used to commentate the, the Rip Curl Pro together. Oh, and, uh, those what, were the days, weren't they? How funny were they? Oh, how funny. I remember um, one time, just to kick this off with, uh, how legendary and how much of a hero Jody is to me. <laughs> Please. For some bizarre reason, on Easter Sunday, they booked the Goons of Dune to play at 3 o'clock in the Arvo in the, girls, uh, in the Bells car park. And, you know, as you do when you're down there, we all drop the d- before we went on stage. Fair play. Well played. And, uh, but Sunday Arvo, it's like a family day. It's a religious ceremony. We're all down there and, um, you know, within five minutes of us starting, just people are grabbing their kids and just <laughs> running out of the car park like there's, <laughs> like there's some sort of, you know, terrorist activity going on. And I just watch people just, you know, running for their lives. And uh, anyway, that night sort of turned into a big party back at our place, mm, which was all that, the commentators. Actually. And Jody's trying to sleep, and I was going, "There's no way the comp's going to run the next morning." Finally, sort of hit the sheets at around about five thirty, and sure enough, Jody opens the door just as I've I've hit the pillow, and she's <laughs> like, "Hey, mate, look, I'm going to go to work and just tell Ridgeway that you know you've had a bit of a night, but we'll take care of you as long as you clean the house because the party <laughs> we had at the house, mate." People had gone ballistic there. They'd drawn dicks all over the wall. Someone had thrown a pillow into a fan and there was fucking feather down all over the joint. But good on you, Jade. Thanks so much. No worries, mate. Mate, You'd do the same for me. Oh, of course I would. Got to welcome to the program Surf Core 2001. Yeah, <laughs> like niche interest Instagram personality <laughs> sitting next to like court, like TRA royalty. Pretty funny. <laughs> Put yourself down like that, mate. <laughs> no, it's like, awesome. Thanks for having no, me you, again. You're an era appropriate hero, mate. Don't worry about that. Yeah, no, thanks. It's always good to be out here. And yeah, this does kind of smell like a really good sort of gut health kind of area. Mm. Some mm. good... Fertile micro-like organisms on the air. It's good. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's some uh, plant-based uh, goodness getting around the airwaves for sure. Yeah. Coming out of my breath too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, uh, shout out to Davo, uh, Davo CBD Oils for sponsoring today's program too. I'm absolutely full of the shit today. So oh, well played. Mad, Davo. Yeah, actually um, this morning, like uh, I got roped in kind of last minute as will be evident throughout the show. Um, but yeah, I did. I took uh, Smithy's word on and did the Wim Hof thing. Oh, you've been hoping. Oh, my God. That is, like, gnarly potent. Like, I was like, oh, yeah, it's like some kind of, like, kind of like what you do at the end of, like, a yoga thing. I was, like, like cooked like I'd had, like, a couple of bickies. Like, (laughs) like, it was full on. Did it work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was great. And I feel really good now. And then, you know, I just had a quiet reflection at Chindra BP on the way down here. And <laughs> yeah, I feel real zen. So thanks for that. You sort of balanced it all out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's good. Oxygenize your uh, your whole brain system. It's, mm. It works. I mean, that's why you feel good after surfing, right? Mm. I think so, yeah. It, gets, mm. it does the same thing to your body as it does to your brain, right? 
Yeah, something like that. Well, your eyes are telling the story. You look very pumped on surf cause, <laughs> dipping the toe into the Hoff mentality. Yeah, absolutely. Get yeah. it, uh, get it up, yeah. Yeah, bit it's of, good. Bit of O2. It's very good for you. Any other shout-outs you got there, crew? I've, I've got one. I want to give a shout-out. Just uh, was over in Europe for the, the CTs and the Red Bull Airborne and whatnot and uh, met a few Swillians over there. So to Carl and Reed and Samos, who uh, met there at a bar one night, on your boys, up the Swillians. Up the Swillians. Up the Swillians. <laughs> uh, I'm going to give a shout-out to Cooney, the mad Northern Rivers core lord for dialing Smivy into Ram Dass and Alan Watts. Uh, because if you say that getting the money is the most important thing, you will spend your life completely wasting your time. You'll be doing things you don't like doing in order to go on living, that is to go on doing things you don't like doing, which is stupid. Deep into a bit of a soiree there in the hills of Byron Bay World Famous. Yeah, in the early hours, we were on a bit of a microdose journey and yeah. tapped me into some just uh, some of the wisest motherfuckers on the planet. So mm. uh, shout out to Cooney. Yeah, Ramdas is like Koraz and like the guru scene. He's mental. Oh, yeah, he's, holding <laughs> he's got a strong hard. look too. <laughs> but at some point in your evolution, you come to the point where. The veil is very thin because the desires, the personal desires are pretty well gone. There's oh. nothing much you want. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Big so, pineal uh, gland on him. To Ram Das, uh, Cooney and Alan Watts. Oh, that's that's brilliant. Yeah, I've got two shout-outs. One to Nick Brown from uh, Surf Rates for um, bringing a nice swallow t- micro-swallow 6-3 Dahlberg to my door the other day. So that one's mental. Up, uh, up Nick Brown, up the Swellians. Up the Swellians. And, yeah, one to... My shaper, Ben Webb, dear friend. Not only can he foil a whale, <laughs> foil a rail, but he can wet one too. And he's off to West Oz with a quiver of um, glass ins, like pintails, like crazy, like 611, 72s and stuff. So, you know, God bless him and good luck. Not only, you know, pulling into fucking massive tombstones, but just getting glass in boards on Jetstar mm. and making sure they show up in one piece. So, yeah, good luck. <laughs> yeah, up the science. Up the swell, yeah. Yeah, boys. So, uh, Smivy, just before we get into stuff, uh, we've got the live tour, the Are You Kidding Me Tour. The tickets are on sale. We're about to launch into it. The Ain't That Swell Live Tour, the Are You Kidding Me Tour is on deadly and it's been absolute chaos, but uh, a joyous kind of chaos. Oh, it's the best, mate. Swellians turning out in force, kick things off in Ulladulla with Pammy Burridge, uh, Mark Rabbage, oh. Kirk Bjerke, Russell Bjerke. The Ork was there. How sick was that? Mate, it was hours of just deep core ramblings. It was so sick. The yeah. storytelling, the insights, uh, you know, this the kind of casual, laconic atmosphere, the ex-servos down there at Ulladulla, you know, couches set up. Just a room full of classical slab fiend tube pig degenerate call. Oh yeah, I saw some heads in the crowd, mate. Curdy Nyon was in there. He's a he's a former CT warrior. Like he just he shreds. I saw uh, Brett Bircher was in there. He just released his new film in the last couple of weeks in Grain. That was. Like, I mean, those guys are a different breed, man. Oh, they're waterlogged motherfuckers down there, <laughs> that's for sure. And then we ended up uh, heading up to uh, the Gong, and how much of a crack did the Gong crew mate, have? They have a fucking crack, they those have guys. A fucking have. solid crack. <laughs> I, uh, man, I, I was so stoked with that, uh, with that show, and it was so fascinating actually to take that journey from the Dulla to the Gong. 
<clears throat> and then up to Bondi. And just to compare, you know, the cultures when experienced like that, they're mm. very different. You know, Ulladulla is this sleepy kind of uh, coastal surf town. The Gong, you know, it's a, it's a coal and steel city. And a um, uni town as well. And a I uni mean, town as well. Yep. So we did the, the gig at the uni yep. bar there, sold it out, packed it out. Yeah, Gong. And um, uh, sick to have Lowy and Terry Richo yeah, on. Nick Terry, Lowe. Oh, man. How good was he? <laughs> they were that good. I couldn't even believe. Terry Richo's stories just blew my fucking yep. mind. Uh, just an absolute. It's like hearing his stories, it's like, hold on, Cunny, are you from the 1800s? Like yeah. his, his stories about pro-surfing in his day, and especially him, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't the top rung, but he was like there and there. He was was lauded in the same way that, you know, Rastovich and, you know, like a different style of of lordship, you know. Totally. And he's a working class battler. That's the thing about Richo, man. Like his stories reflected a guy who didn't grow up with coin and just fucking mungled his way right up the chain and might have even overachieved in a sense, you know, but just like, I mean that with all due respect, a guy who uh, just achieved so much from such humble beginnings. Masters world champ. He got there in the end and, um, then we went up to Bondi and things just went absolutely pear-shaped at the end of that one. <laughs> oh, there was a couple of pears, a couple of peaches on show, that's for sure. A couple of hairy, fucking sweaty peaches uh, in Smivy's face. And uh, Good to have Credo back. Credo, uh, the cult classic. They love oh, having him on, the Swillians, don't they? Good is and he? then uh, Richie Vass, mate, next level. Crammy, we won't go too much into it because the shows are going to go live uh, throughout the summer. We're not going to release them just, you know, hot on each other's heels like we did last time. We're going to spread these things out, give you some time to get into them. But there's shows to come. And, uh, you know, as we record this right now, the East Coast is just going through one of the most unprecedented natural disasters that we've seen in years. And, you know, uh, you and I, who have spent our entire lives growing up on this East Coast, a lot of the affected areas from the bushfires right now are places that we know and love and have spent time. My old man's farm is in the thick of it. My mum's place at Valor's, you know, uh, surrounded by smoke every afternoon. There's a lot of stress and anxiety. People have lost their homes. A few people have lost their lives. It's absolutely fucked. And, um, you know, we're, we're going to get up there and hopefully, you know, amidst this just awful se- sequence of events, Brought on, by the way, uh, you know. By fucking inaction yeah, I'm, I'm, and lazy fucking greed, just short-sightedness. The writing's been yeah. on the wall. Mate, as we'll, as we'll hear from uh, Tulsi Gabbard quoting Mahatma Gandhi mm-hmm. fucking decades ago, the writing has been on the wall for generations. Mm. You know, people cannot live the way we've been living and it's just a fucking no-brainer and we've dragged our feet and... Uh, I mean, I'm not going to say we. I'm going to say the fucking powers that be have dragged their feet. Yeah. I, I ain't been living fucking on much, man. I, I keep my footprint minimal. Uh, and I'm, but I ain't ever really had the choice to do anything else. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, I mean, but, you know, uh, my, my old man's up there at Wardell now. Exactly, fucking mate. surrounded by an arc of fire protecting his joint. Um, and there's fucking about... What six million people along the east coast under threat, yeah. something like that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a, a stressful. Ca- it's a catastrophe. So we're gonna be up there delivering some moral support yeah. and, and a fucking good dose of humour and a good dose of brutal fucking truth. That's too, it, mate. man. So we'll be at Caloundra on uh, this Saturday, Saturday the sixteenth. Uh, Lennox Head on the seventeenth uh, at the pub there, Lennox Head Hotel, Coffs Harbour the following Friday, and then down in San Remo and Torquay in December. So. Come along, Swillian. It's been Mad. really, really fun. Really fun. Maybe get a smile back on your dial. Uh, then we head up to Caloundra. We've got Parco confirmed. He'll be 
basically getting the schnoz in action up there <laughs> with uh, good old mate, four-time oh, runner-up, oh, 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 oh. Gary Kong Elkerton, confirmed for uh, that show. Oh, Augustus Peebleby. I know that Augustus Kong. I know that Kong has got beef with our Kelly episode, so he has promised a proper tee-off. <laughs> it's going to be next level if oh, you're in Caloundra. be mental. Get along to that one. Uh, then we head down the coast. Lennox head on the, I think it's around the 17th. I hear we've got a, uh, a spot open for a potential uh, 1985 OP Pro Huntington Beach champion. That's uh, right. If you'd like to accept it. If you'd like to come on <laughs> the show, Lennox Hotel. Lennox Hotel. Well, we'll have to see how today goes, hey? See how you go. <laughs> uh, but uh, one confirmation, another one that Surf Corps actually – we might have to get you down for Lennox too, mate, because yeah. Margot has just confirmed. Oh. Your, your <laughs> personal Jesus. Yeah. I saw him the other day. Fuck, he's a lord. How did you go? Yeah, Were you just, do you quiver at the knees? No, nah, I bump into him a fair bit. We surf the same sort of spots and uh, he, he used to work with my housemate. So, um, yeah, it's pretty mental bumping into him. And I've surfed with Micah, his son, a fair bit, which is sick. He's over doing the ISAs like, and stuff over in uh, Cali right now. So, yeah, shout out to Margot. Yeah. That'd be mental. Awesome. Well, um. Backing up, Margot also confirmed for that show at Lennox is going to be B Derbage. So you're, oh. you've, got, you've got so much fodder. I don't even know how you're going to sleep at night between now and then. Yeah, no, that's so – That's a. I don't know if I need to be there. That's a star-studded cast. It's eh? huge. Tickets yeah, still sick. available. Uh, Coffs Harbour, that's our, our sort of last stop on the east coast of New South Wales. Otis Carey is going to come to that one. And um, we've got an iron in the fire. There is a hot rumour. Don't buy your ticket based on this because there's no <laughs> refunds. There's no refunds. And then San Remo. I think uh, we're just looking at a couple of special guests there. And finally, Torquay is sold out. So if you want to come along, Swellians, the Are You Kidding Me Tour on now, presented by Billabong, Custom, Road Mics, Cooper. Davos CBD Oils. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, sponsors <laughs> which we'll get into later. But, uh, yeah, get your tickets. Let's get stuck into it. Finger buns are just sitting in a room They're sweet and sticky and absolutely delicious Finger buns, finger buns Feed your face in your finger buns Finger buns, we're back, alright Man, so much juice How much has happened since we last sat down and Went into two and years. A lot, Vaughn. The uh, European leg is wrapped up. And uh, let's let's just kind of quickly go through France. Uh, Flores gets coned off his dial from start to finish before getting spat out of penultimate shore break cone straight into the waiting arms of his countrymen and women lining the shore break. Are you kidding me? <laughs> it was unbelievable. How Wild good did that scenes. feel? Only France seems to produce those kinds of scenes, doesn't it? It's such a radical, radical event when it goes down in those circumstances. Just hundreds of people, thousands lining ashore and people getting baffed out of cones like metres from them. Uh, you know, you can basically smack them in the face of a long baguette if you're holding one. It's, they're <laughs> it's, that close to you. It's always been a crazy place, even back in the 80s when, um, you know, the first events to happened over there in France. And uh, I remember coming out of a heat one day and um, coming up and there's you know, hundreds of people on the beach and I won the heat. So they all flocked over to get an autograph. They didn't know who the hell you were, but they just thought, oh, you know, you've got to be important because you're out there and there's a contest. And uh, I looked up and everyone's stark naked. And there's, this, there's, there's a guy there with his big schlong hanging out and he's going, can you sign my autograph, please? And I was just like, uh, 
yeah, sure. Have you got a pen? Like, <laughs> it was just mental. It was just like, that's what you get in France. It was, you know, it was just crazy shit happened. Is you that know? what you were talking about when you were saying you could get hit in the head with a baguette? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what happened to me out there. I got spat out of one and just shalom. That's what I felt like Straight saying. In the is that your baguette or is that something else? <laughs> um, but when you were there, Joe, I mean, you guys toured in summer, right? You got the, the ASP back then was pretty much all about the crowds and, um, like, it was well before the Dream Tour started sort of getting over there in that uh, sort of early part of autumn, the fall, when the when the yeah. Atlantic starts firing <clears throat> to life. Me. You guys were just there in the dribble. Well, you know, we, we did get dribble, but we also got pumping waves. Mm. <clears throat> and the thing is, um, you know, we used to go there and hang there for a couple of months. We used to go there. And why wouldn't you be in southern France? You know, like <clears throat> you couldn't afford to go home. So you decided, well, why don't we just stay southern France for like three months of the year before we had to go to some other, you know, Bondi Beach or something like that. You know, compared to Bondi Beach, uh, France (laughs) was like, you know, a pumping point break. So, you know, we we got some great waves, but we also got skunk. Though you're right. It was, you know, I remember waiting for the high tide, excuse me, and, um, you know, then maybe that's when the surf event, would they'd hold it or they would wait for low tide and get the bulldozers out and push the the bank in and then what? wait for high tide Actually again. Actually make banks with Seriously, bulldozers. deadly Whoa. serious. Man, and, um, God. Yes, he can. <laughs> and then wait for the high tide and see what it did. So, yeah, there was a lot of, you're right, there was a lot of crappy surf. But I think we all forgot about that because it was such a great place to be. It was oh, just, you, you know, guys, the parties, You guys the sent it in the party scene. Oh, too. Tell that, us that about was... the party scene because some of my all-time degenerate performances have unfolded in those beach breaks. I mean, Rod Kerr. Uh, Scum Valley's finest himself, well, Bronny Beach, technically, but uh, mm-hmm. famously pumping to the inside there, needing a 4.67, hits the last section, hits the shore, spews his guts up. Oh, God. <laughs> I think Doesn't that, get the score. I think that happened quite a lot in his career, didn't it? Like, not just France, <laughs> but um, I think I think, I think think everyone pushed the envelope in France, to be honest, even, even the straightest of all straights, you know, I think let their, let their you know, Hair down in in southern France. Mm. It was just one of those places. It just sort of, it just sort of drew that out of you. You know. Yeah. Mm. I yep. think even Richie Collins had a drink in southern France. Mm. You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. Surfing against chemically imbalanced drug pigs. Uh, yeah. How does that tend to unfold? I mean, there's some also some you know serious uh, kind of throwdowns on the beach in France. Mick Campbell and Andy Irons yeah, springs to mind. Potts and Gurr. That was in France oh, too, look, wasn't it? No, that was I, Japan, but uh, I, I, they had I do a few. think the guys really pushed the boundaries. I think the, a lot of the girls were kind of like, uh, you know, we were sort of more quiet achievers, so to speak. And mm. um, no uh, dog shots on the beach in the, the women's n- format. No, no, not so much. Not you till know, the two thousands, mate. Yeah, when I, Trudy I think Todd they came Sam out Cornish later. <laughs> Trudy Todd and Sam Cornish. It was on the front page of the bulletin. Surf call, yep. come on, back me on this. Yeah, yeah no, yeah, I remember yeah. that. I yeah, don't that, remember that was at Snapper, wasn't it? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Snapper, the uh, the fingernails came out at the full scrag fight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Cat fight. laughs> wow. Um, but look, this year saw a return to classic like what what my favorite conditions in France are, which is like eight foot death stories. So wild, isn't it? Look, do yeah. you remember like uh in a few of the old Sarge's movies there was like the Lacanau landings of, of Nicky Wood, like eight foot floaters just on those dodgy brittle knees and just somehow stomping them and full commitment. But this year Look at that I mean, CBD was, fluid in the joints, I think. Yeah, well, it was, it was, <laughs> it was hectic. He needed help with those. I mean, uh, yeah. yeah, he had the growing pains. But, 
the, the Shorey's this year were like return to form. And so it was just, I was going to say to you, Jay's like, do you remember sort of surfing in those really aggro Shorey's and how did you go? Because there was a pretty noticeable uh, sort of, what, what would you call it? Like a gap in performance. It was like one of the first times this year where I've seen like a really big performance gap between what the men were doing out there and what the women were doing. They, yeah. they just looked a little lost in that really yeah. deathly shore break surf. Yeah, it's it's definitely intimidating. And, and I think a lot of back back in our day, um, you know, we surfed Baritz a lot. Mm. You know, like the event was down on that Grand La Plage down there. It was like in front of that casino. Oh, you're almost bilingual, Jody. Your French is that? incredible. Uh-huh. Grand La, <laughs> Don't get me Grand started. La Plage. Yeah, you'd call it La Plage. <laughs> <laughs> La <Plague-oo>. Merci beaucoup. <laughs> mercy Baku. Uh, buckets of mercy. But um yeah, I, I think a lot of the events were held in um you know cr- crazy sort of conditions that, that, that we didn't have the time frames that the guys have today like uh back like back I got to stop saying that but it was back in the day. You know, you had a week and within that week they had a trial event, a women's event and a main men's event. And you know, it was there was there was no lay day. It was just get the women out there. It's yep. ten foot and onshore and crap, and mm. you know it's it's mental. And I, I know even a lot of the guys got you know the raw stick too because of the time frame. So a lot of the times we surf France and the surfing contest itself was kind of shitty to be mm. honest mm. from memory. Uh, but as I said, we were there for so long that we would obviously get some absolute ballistic waves and like up at Hostigor, the shore dump up there was you know classic and. The negative thing was that was like you could only travel with two or three surfboards because, mm. you know, they all had fins in them or, f- you know, four maximum. Glass in surf. Go, just, so, you know, glass in you fins. You right there, mate? Yeah, this is beautiful. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the old glass in fin thing, you know, like it was just short arm, bang, there goes a fin. So there goes your favourite board for, you know, for 10 days. You can find some French person to fix it. Mm. So, yeah, yeah, very different sort of situations. Yeah. What did you make of, like, the, the French event? Did you watch much of it? Uh, I did watch a little bit of it. Um, I saw mostly the finals of the women and uh, leading up to it and then, of course, uh, Flores, um, Jeremy, which was – I was stoked with that. You know, I always like a dark horse. I always like the, you know, a good story. There he has had his little baby on him, bouncing the baby, and he won the event. And I, I suppose I could just really relate to it what that would have meant for that guy mm. uh, on all levels. You know, the fact that, you know, he's not – you don't back him every contest, would you? You know, like he's an incredible surfer, but to see him win, you kind of think, man, yeah. that's that's one you're going to remember forever on your home break with your child, with your partner, and, you know, especially with, you know, he's had some, you know, bad things happen in his past with losing loved ones and stuff like that. So, yep. yeah, I was pretty intrigued. I watched it and I, was, I had a tear in my eye. Mm. It was good. Mm. And Carissa Moore, I mean, she was getting coned out of her dial oh, out there. She surfed pretty totally. incredibly. It's yeah. intimidating. I think what a lot of people don't realise watching on TV in France at that time, you got long period energy. Yep. Uh, you know, there's a certain kind of... I find uh, in my experiences there a certain kind of uh, almond, heavy, thick almond shape to the tube. You know, it's yep. not like Stratty or somewhere it's really round. And there's a lot of space in there. It's like there's a certain pinchy quality to it. You can There's enough space for you, but fuck, you can get worked, man. Mm. I, and I don't envy someone taking you off can- on, uh, you know, a six to eight foot cone. Six feet from the shore. Nah. That's just, you know, the end section's just bubbling onto dry sand. So, uh, you know, she got, I think she got. Nine three three or something in the final. 
Uh, yeah. Oh, she made it look easy for sure. Yeah. And and like a lot of those tubes, like you're saying, they're not cut and dry. They're not like big almond-shaped barrels. You just point the board in one direction and you get spat out. I mean, she had to negotiate a lot of that foamy stuff because it's been smashing on the shore break, you know, on the face of the wave. It had a little bit of a corner to it. She had to angle to get out. Mm. And, um, and the water's freezing. Um, you can see they're in steamers, so it's kind of like got that cold water feel to it too, which yeah. always makes it feel heavier. Yeah, mm-hmm. you can be four foot four feet off the beach and have a two two wave hold down out there. But that's <laughs> yeah. that's legitimately what happens. You, you can see guys just you know their boards tombstoning and everything's like just like you said, so much energy all just focused on this mm. one little bit of sand, and you get trapped in it. Mm. And it just absolutely pumps you. It's and underestimated the heaviness of yeah. beach beaches, I, I, I reckon. Thought, they're not as fun as they nah, look No, no, they're not. And, like, one of the, the telling signs for me was when people would actually get washed up the beach, they'd stand there for three or four minutes of their heat. They wouldn't just sort of turn around, <laughs> grab yeah, their Yeah, like board on and, the board swaps and stuff? Yeah. yeah it was mental. And you wouldn't just see them, like, pin it back out there. They'd stand there and wait for, like, sometimes up to three minutes to just find a little... A little pathway out through it. So, it's yeah, kind it of like the uh, like the Bells Beach short break on steroids mm. kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, you, you often see that at Bells. You know, you know, are they going to go for that last maneuver because you know that could win or break? You know that score that they needed, and you can sometimes see it, it kind of like on their body language. You know, are they going to commit their their body to yeah. get that score? You know, and, and Bells, you kind of think, oh, yeah, maybe I will because it's got that nice slope up kind of thing and you kind of get sucked back. But uh, France doesn't have that, does it? It's just a sort of almighty crunch. Oh, yeah, big time. And as you said, just, just I mean, these days it's a bit easier for them to get new boards, but but back in the day, that well, must have been such a 12. real concern in the back <laughs> of your brain. Um, yeah, what did you think, Surf Corps, of, of, a, of a, one of your crew taking that win? Yeah, I definitely back Jeremy, especially like my, as I said in the last episode, my multi on Jeremy and uh, Jack in round four paid my rent for that week. So that was (laughs) epic. I reckon Jeremy's like secret, like to winning that event, his secret success was riding a board that was like 18 and an eighth wide. Like he rides the narrowest, like wool needle boards and like they don't tombstone, they fit inside the barrel. He can get rail to rail real quick on them and there's all the energy you need in that wave. Like you don't need to generate speed. And he was just ripping out there. You're surfing out of his skin. So, yeah, I reckon Jeremy's the biggest core lord on tour at the moment. Maybe the Gosford Grugs, the, you know, close second. But, um, yeah, it was mental. And, yeah, to see like all the um, like the, the crowd and stuff, they were singing like the national anthem when he won. And, wow. Like, it's mental. Like, that, yeah, that, yeah, like Jody said, it was like kind of like. I felt some pretty strong male emotions watching that, and I'm not I'm not ashamed of it. Perfect. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, it's funny just on that, what you were saying about his board not tombstoning. I've heard Noah say that if he has a board, when he comes up, that's flipped over, he, he doesn't want to ride it anymore. He it's a piece of shit. So it's just this I've sort of like almost. Ever. Yeah, no. It's <laughs> that's this, classic. It's this thing that he's got. Like, I don't know if it's a superstition or he genuinely, like, thinks that, this means it's a bad board, but if his board's upside down when he comes up after a wave, he hates it. It's on the scrap heap. Yeah. I've, what I've a heard luxury sha- to have. Luxuries of a pro yeah. surfer. <laughs> I've heard some some shapers claim that if you put the leggy plug in on a 45-degree yeah. angle, it doesn't tombstone. I but... reckon it's to do with the leggy plug. A yeah? Big time. Yeah, that's all about the leggy plug. I like what it. What about sure. when you don't have swivels in your leggy? Because that's pretty 
maybe that helps because I reckon that would that'd work. And just quickly, uh, on the leggy plugs, why are they so fucking why? small? Oh, I can't get the fucking <laughs> oh, no. what, Can please explain a moment here? What is going on with that? You get down there and you forget, oh, yeah, i got to put this leggy in. And you're looking for a match on the yeah, beach. Yeah, picking up like twigs and shit. And there's always glass, a soft twig you seem to find and it breaks. <laughs> and you've just cut your fingernail. And what is with that? That is tide changes, wind goes, cross shop. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, oh, I'm glad you really brought that up because that is one of my it's- pet do you remember the old hates. one though, where they'd like they'd sort of glass little shark fin with a hole in it, <laughs> yeah, and you'd just yeah, have yeah. like this sea also crater on the inside of your your foot that would just knock it every single time you came off. Yeah, oh. I've got a few boards like that. They, oh. they suck. They're so yeah. If and they'll like get your shin when you're duck diving or something. Oh, too. That's, that's so the worst gnarly. idea ever. Yeah, yeah. So uh, just a memo to all the shapers listening yeah. out there. Just give us a little, just an extra mil. Just a little bit, a couple mil. <laughs> I think it's their last laugh. You know, mm. what I, mean? I think when they put that little plug in, it's like their last little laugh before they send one of yeah. their babies off. You know True, I mean? Alburn, and they're all watching up there from Nirvana, just piercing <laughs> themselves as we struggle away on the beach. And uh, just quickly before we move on, just Caroline Marks, skitzy backside hanger on a six foot shorey. What do you make of her surfing, Jody? Oh, just hockey esque, isn't it? In a way, like it's just. Uh, off the off the Richter scale, her backhand attack. You know, we saw her at Jeffrey's Bay early on in the year, and just you know making those huge sections and just you know like fully hooking it up, up underneath the lip and just you know creating more power out of her turns and yeah, it's it's bloody epic to see, isn't it? It's so good to watch. What I love about it, it's old school power surfing. Mm, yeah, you know, it's not a big air game, even though she can you know bust out the fins and stuff. But it's that great. Old school brought into modern day surfing, and, mm, and, and mm. I'm loving it. It's great. Accompanied by a sound like huzzah! <laughs> <laughs> Out of the top there. Number four. The double Medina melt in the what? European leg. Are you oh, kidding? This Unheard was of. Kidding me? <laughs> when he won at the pool and Felipe came second, I was like, how good are we? Like, not that that was any great. You know, uh, prediction or anything, but like I was going, this, this is just all going perfectly to script. Two melts in a row from the most callous, cold-hearted, meanest competitor we've seen <laughs> in so long. Just a, such a fucking icy piece of fucking mm. oh. and, and absolute meow of a man. Oh, he's and, just- and, and a guy <laughs> that can just usually just hold it. Together under the most intense pressure. Yeah. Like we saw at the Pipe Masters last year. I mean, that was off the Richter scale. This is not where he would have thought he'd been. And it's got the hugest whiff, like a big smelly whiff of Tom Carroll. Uh, <laughs> mm. What was the, what year was it? The uh, the Barton Lee, 88 well, Pipe late Masters. 80s it's got, oh, it's yeah. got that. Yeah, it's he, got that thing where the, the, uh, the paddling in interference. It was the paddling interference, with yeah. With Todd yeah. Holland, do yeah. you remember that? Yeah. He was unbackable that year, unbackable. And everyone was going, if it gets the pipe and pipe's big, and it, well, not only was it big, it was huge and glassy yeah, and perfect and it was pipeline. Yep. And he just over-frothed and, like, there's just whiffs of it. And, like, the the sort of uh, veneer of impenetrability that Medina's had, like, for uh, basically since he won at the pool or won J-Bay, I should say, it just seems to have been whittled away to nothing. And all that momentum switched over to Italo and I'd even be like looking at Geordie now and, and Phil even. Phil mm, like, yeah. you know, he's been sort of like climbing the tree at backdoor and pipe and I don't know, man. I just feel like can Medina 
find that mojo like he did last year to absolute perfection where it was just never in doubt, even when he was sort of like 18 points down? Or has he spent it all? Has he spent all his mojo in those uh, heady opening rounds of the tour? I mean, we know he was out to all hours, Vaughn. <laughs> he was uh, using up a lot of that mojo. I don't know. How do you, how do you bring your mojo stores back? Is it is it a finite amount that you're given to spend in the year? And, uh, I mean, he's... He's never been short on Mojo, but he no. might have just blown his bolt a bit too early this year, Medina. That that little error to me reeks of uh, like I don't know. It's desperation, and I've never seen him have it. Like the desperation he normally has is self belief. That looked just sort of a bit rank. Yeah, but it's interesting. I mean, we're going to get to this uh, in a bit, but let's go through it now anyway. Yeah. Uh, he does have this strange uh, kind of will to. Yeah, get tangled up in these priority shit fights when he doesn't need to, when he's surfing you know, more than enough to do the talking. But, yeah, he has a strange insecurity complex, and we've seen it several times now. I mean, the Callanan decision in last year's mm. Portugal event, uh, it was almost an action replay of, of this year's one in a sense, and you know, he got the rub on that. He didn't get the rub on this one with Kaio Abeli. So uh, I don't know why, why he's so uh, caught up in paddle battles and just kind of gamesmanship when he's clearly the best surfer on the planet right now. Mm. And he's surfing, you know, in that situation with Kaya, he was he was dousing him. He had like a combined total of 14. and Yeah, he nearly won with the interference. Yeah, like, he had no gnarly. reason to do that. It's such an odd uh, kind of chink in his armour. Yeah, the only thing I'd say is he's kind of gone into that like, like, you know, if you faded one person out in the surf and then you kind of just get into just being a dog. Like, and like, you own that shit. Yeah, you're like, well, I'm not going to go in, so I can just, like, now that everyone knows that I'm a... I can just keep being a... So I think, like, now that Next Gabe, Gabe has the black hat on and he's just wearing it, like, I feel like he'll come into pipe and he'll either, you know, have his tail between his legs or just double down in full mode and just, like, so. like paddle people into, like, close out to, like, back door and just fade them like he did with Slater. Yeah, like it'll be like that. Well, what do you reckon, Jody? Yeah, I mean, I'm you, taking that one. The yeah. second choice for yeah. sure. You, you've There's no against... way he's going to walk in there with his tie between his legs. There's no nah. way. He's, he's he's got too many people behind him. There's, there's too much of a, you know, the roar of that of his fans and you know, and I I'm just blown away at the hissy fits though. That's what's cracking me up is mm. his little tantrums. He unfollowed like, Kyo on Instagram. You know, oh, you're like joking. He's, he's like, <laughs> How petty is that? <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It's all-time classic. It's all-time classic. The hissy fits he pulls over his own shit. That's crazy. And then, and that's what I'm disappointed at, actually, because mm-hmm. you own your shit, you know what I mean? Especially mm. when it's all calmed down. You kind of go, oh, yeah, I kind of lost my cool, didn't I? We all do. Everyone does. Everyone yeah. does stupid mm. stuff. But, I mean, that circumstance was just like, no, nah, dude, you need to take a big breath, have a good look at yourself and – you know what I mean? Like, just yeah. own your crap. Yeah, I like, love a dummy skit. competitors on uh, social media after a, after a heat. That's r- ridiculous, Steve. I mean, yeah. that's unbelievable. Do you want, do you want to hear from uh, – here's an article on Stab Magazine about all the, the fallout from that heat. I'll just read an excerpt. Uh, by now, sh- you've surely got a reasonable sense of the very real drama unfolding both on the ground in Panish and all over the internet in the wake of Gabriel Medina's round of 16 interference on fellow Brazi- Brazilian Caio Abelli. But what you might not know is just how serious the response has been from the Brazilian fans. Yesterday evening, after spending almost two hours doing everything short of headlocking motherfuckers beneath the judges' tower at Supertubes, 
Gabs posted on an Instagram post making his case to more than 8 million followers. Heavily and somewhat confusingly edited, the video and caption clumsily walks the line between earnest self-defense and downright gaslighting. It is certainly not the whole story, as as literally the entirety of the WSL's veteran officials will agree. Almost immediately, Gab's close friend Neymar Jr., the, uh, the Brazilian football legend, posted a story to his 127 million followers expressing his support (laughs) for his countrymen and sending Brazilians into a veritable social media tailspin. Of course, of course, you'd imagine the vitriol directed at the WSL or their judges. Instead, it has landed firmly on poor Kaio Abeli. Since last night's post, Kaio has received literally thousands and thousands of angry messages from both Gabby and Neymar's followers. This is a quote. I've been getting more than 10,000 messages in the last 12 hours, Kaio tells Stab. Mostly people talking shit about me, threatening, talking about my dignity like I did something wrong. Gabriel positioned himself very bad and put his and Neymar's millions and millions of followers against me. I don't think that was cool. Of course, the lion's share of people hammering Kaio know two-fifths of fuck all about the ins and outs of priority rules or competitive surfing at all. In fact, Kelly Slater, a man with a fairly granular understanding of how priority situations work in competition, was quick to acknowledge. Gabe should have looked at the disc, Kelly Slater told Stab. Anytime it's close, you always look and confirm. The fact that people are giving Kaio a hard time shows they don't know what they're talking about. Well said, Goat. Mm, yeah. Go to be loving that too, yeah. eh? Yeah. Got yeah. to be loving, <laughs> loving Medina copping a bit of shit. Right. Yeah, but I, I, that's huge. Yeah. That is poor form, isn't it? I don't think surfing's sort of seen anything like this. You know, where we've come with technology and the way, you know, you can reach so many people. And, I mean, the whole thing was to get the whole country of Brazil on board to get surfing to another level. And now it's kind of like eating itself in a way like or it's mm. creating these problems that you never you know dreamt of mm. really, in a way it's disgraceful behavior it's just so shameful isn't it just uh online bullying not being able to like you said uh, walk away and just leave the leave the shit in the water on the beach i suppose it's- it i suppose it makes you realize where it is today and where we've gone and everyone's dealing with the fact that serving and anything sport or anything online now has these um, reactions and has these these circumstances. Mm, mm, so we'll, yeah. all, we all got to learn from it. Mm. Maybe Medina will learn from it. Maybe every surfer on the tour will learn from it too, mm. in a sense. Does that make sense? Yeah, you totally. Know, like, oh, fully. M- moving ahead though, is it is it now something his competitors are going to have to contend with? Like well, if, that's if what, they that's get into I mean. some kind of priority stoush, stoush uh, yeah. in a heat, they're going to have to contend with 10,000 death threats <laughs> but, but it's in like, a DM account also, it's like, weeks afterwards. It's like a contest director, you know, like, we, we better, you know, make sure he's got a nice place to stay or, you know, he likes coming to this you know, state or this country because if he doesn't, we're fucked. Mm. You know what I mean? He's going to have 8 million billion followers saying, oh, I don't like the waves and such mm. and such. Do you know mm. what I mean? Yeah. It's like, you know, maybe it's going to affect not just the surfers but, uh, I don't know, the people involved but when, in But when you are that powerful, I mean, you know, for years, like you you would hear those sorts of rumours about, you know, the, the heavyweights calling off a day that looked like a half-decent day to yeah. surf a comp or whatever just because they just use that power. And now with, uh, you know, armed with this following that is completely undeniable and they can literally, like, you know, the personal brands of these guys is bigger than the 
the WSL, mm. but they can really craft how people want to perceive mm. Mm. that. So there's, there's going to be... You think he is crafting it? You think this is a, a deliberate strategy by Medina to just tip a bit more power and influence into his, uh, into it's, his it's, title momentum? I wouldn't say it is, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's an element of that within sort of what's going on here because it's just you cannot compete with it. Mm. You, like no matter how much the WSL tries to explain what happened as clearly as they can... The damage is done because the between Neymar and Medina and the, those people that they're <laughs> so reaching, charged. not having a fucking single clue about or or a care about what actually happened, you you, you can't mm. win. I'll tell you who wasn't deterred: the surgeon, the, the original evoker Jesus, Ace Buck, and getting the victory over Medina yeah. in round three at France. I mean, huge win. Yeah, yeah children's for the book veteran from the Seni Coast. Macca's Dreamtime so Barrel is a uh, published yeah author. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so and just absolutely <laughs> took the Brazilian apart. He's, he's clinical, especially in France. He's, he's a former Quicksilver Pro winner, like, I'm pretty like, sure. You know how some guys like Flores is a really good example of, of like his power turns now are way better than they ever were in his probably his prime years on tour where his legs were a little more nimble and his, and his surfing was, would have been considered a more futuristic. Ace is the same. Like his backhand, whack, <laughs> so it's amazing. Toast, toast, yeah. I was, uh, I was at J-Bay, actually, and he did the wildest backside swerve I've ever seen in my face, and it was – I'll never forget it. It was such a radical, stylish maneuver on a six- to eight-foot bowl, and uh, I was just, like, kind of thinking, fuck, man, that's the craziest turn I've pretty much ever seen in the flesh. And I've sp- I spent years covering the World Tour during uh, the Dane Reynolds kind of period, so he's, he's feeling it, Bucking. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And I just like that, you know, when you come up against a champion, just – fucking going as hard as you can possibly go and just making sure everything's tight and knowing that you've got to surf a perfect heat and bringing it. I mean, you know, Jody, like talking about Medina and, and so who, were the, who was the hardest person you had to surf? Who was the animal of your time on tour? Who was like just someone you just go, no, not this fucking... Female, <laughs> the female Pedersen Rosa, Jody. <laughs> oh, gosh. There was always the one you wanted to beat. There was always that one that you... Oh, I don't know. It's I, I suppose... Wendy Botha was always my... You wanted to take Wendy's fucking mm. head off? Yeah, I think I did. Mm. I, I, that South African, like... <laughs> I mean, just... <laughs> you know, like it was just after the apartheid stuff and it was just like, mm. you know... Yeah. And, and please, Wendy's a beautiful person, mm. you know. I'll, I'll do all no, my no, we're not talking about now personal. and all my, you know. Yeah, yeah exactly. Not personal. We're it's, talking it's about not. who did you surf against exactly. and just went. Yeah, but. you know, it, it was probably like Wendy. I mean, even Pam loved her. She's like a, my best, best buddy, but mm. she was one of those ones you just... Because we had that strong rivalry, yep. the Aussie, you know, like we wanted to do one better than the other one because we were the, the two at the start. And so, you know, I wanted to prove I could beat Pam Burridge because Pam Burridge was the totem pole, mm. you know, and I was just like, God damn it, you know. And the funny thing is, you know, the surfers that come along that always would have their sort of highlight surf heat of the day when you surf them, mm. but you should always beat. Does that make sense? Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. yeah. You'd a, win a, any other heat in the comp and someone's just exactly, on fire. Yeah. Exactly. And they'd always have like their best heat of their whole entire life and mm. you just – and good on them because, you know, they just rose to that level. You just go, I've never even seen you surf like that before. Yeah. You've <laughs> fucking had it in my heat. <laughs> How dare oh, you? Oh, God. I, it's just the pro serving is littered with guys who had like a whole year of those and fell off tour. Like Phil McDonald one year just yeah. surfed out of his skin and just kept coming up against Andy with like, a, yeah. you know, on a mad tear or oh, there's a few more I can think of actually. Ethan's but, a classic, I think. Ethan, Ethan had yeah. heaps. Ryan had heaps. 
But yeah, I'd hate to get um, Pam in it. She's got oh, the she's craziest. lethal. Yeah, she's Pam, she's... honestly, Pam is like we are we. We, I call this one wave, it was like the $10,000 wave. It was like uh, the Billabong Pro, it was like the highest prize money in uh, the world at the time. And it was 10000 bucks to win that event. And I sort of, we're in the final at uh, Sunset and I've been winning the heat, the final, all you know, the heat, I'm, I'm just about to chat, the check's in the bank and <laughs> I'm going, fuck, what am I going to buy? This is excellent. I'm out the back and... This wave comes in and, you know, Pam's on my outside. I've got the inside position. I look at Pam like a mate going, I got this one, buddy. She goes, yep, I can see you got that one, mate. No worries. I stop looking at her. I put my head down because, you know, in sunset, everything, you got to give it everything. Paddle, paddle, paddle. It was like the wave of the day too. So this is just going to shut the gate. Put my head down. I paddle, paddle, paddle. Next minute I hear this, oi, like that. <laughs> she snaked me from the inside because she's giving me the look of like, all good, mate. You've got this one. And then she just goes like that. And I'm like, no! And she just took off and, and was the wave of the day and won. Oh. And I was just, everything was shattered. And we, we laugh about it today. Mm. But it was a big lesson curve in my, like, my surfing understanding. Like, don't take your eyes off the game. You know, no. don't trust anyone. You know, yeah. so pretty funny. But, yeah. I fully hey, get uh, that, though. I saw her out at Bendalong once. And she's got that kind of, like, you don't notice it at first, but she's got kind of a crazy wingspan and she can really yeah. paddle. Yeah. And she's fucking <laughs> motorboating around the lineup. So yeah. I can believe that she just got right Oh, right totally. She's, a, she's an amazing water person, hey, and yeah. just has the most strong, she had the most strong will to win, mm. you know, and um, at, at, at all, not at all costs, you know what I mean? It's not like she was going to run you over or chop your head off or anything like that. But, yeah, just that really strong competitive desire to win for sure. Mm. And just quickly on Kai Belly, I did a boat trip with this kid once. Uh, I think he was about, oh, I want to say, 14, 15. And, uh, you know, I watched him airdrop out of the lip on like a 10-footer at bank vault. So he got, got the cover, <laughs> cover of Surfing Magazine. Like, and he was pretty much a, a no-name. Uh, you know, I think he maybe was the under-16 Brazilian champ at the time, but he's a gritty character. And you got to respect uh, Brazilian surfers of his ilk. They show up and they always put a score on the board. They always put up a tally, you know, like it's mm. either a 12 or it's a 14 um, out of 20 and they make you work for the victory. And, uh, yeah, I just I respect it, man. You know, he's, he's up against an absolute titan and Adonis mm. in his home, from his homeland uh, and he just went at him uh, as Brazilians do and it was exactly the kind of behaviour that Medina exhibited when he first come on tour. He, you know, he fucking fed it to the seniors, man. He, he didn't... Didn't take a backward step, and I adored him for that. I thought, you know, that's you're here to win. You're here mm. to win. Um, there's no mates in the lineup, uh, so respect to Kaio, man. For yeah, standing I, I think his um, most fucking... guys surf heats against Kaio, just sort of dreading it. He's got that reputation as a guy who just will somehow find a way to get under your skin. You know, like it's it's yeah. one of those guys who just fucking would drive those top brass mad. Because I reckon they probably do approach a lot of heats. Like you used to hear Kelly. Talk about guys, and he he just wouldn't even worry about them one bit. Like they they did nothing to make him concerned. Yeah. And and like Kyo would have been the opposite of one of those guys for him because every single time there's an A list dude, and when I'm saying A list, I'm talking just about the uh, you know 
the the power the power mongers at the top of the ratings. He just knows how to unsettle them. Mm. And he's he's unpredictable in his way. You know, he's got a crazy punt game. Uh, I think that, that kind of he's done well at Bell's. Too, yeah, that is, Bell's. Yeah, when yeah. Geordie won, he was surfing out of his skin. His rail yeah, game rail game's insane. mental. Uh, good in the cone. So mm. on your Kyo, keep ripping in, mate. On Chin your Kyo. Up. Yeah. Don't no. listen to them. That's right. <laughs> Agree. Those eight million. <laughs> oh yeah, easy. Just, just, yeah, just, just flick them don't off turn your computer on. Boy. <laughs> That's right. Fully. All this could be solved by simply tapping out of Zuck World. So keep that in mind. Mm. Number three. We have a new title favourite. The grizzled, hardened Amazonian cacao gets the win over the sugary, processed white chocolate in Portugal. <laughs> Italo Ferreira. Walking away with victory in Portugal. That's uh that's a runner up in France and a win in Portugal. Huge European yes, league. He's a monster and result. He, uh, walks into Pipeline and the Pipe Masters now in first place. Well, what happened here? We you were back and Phil, right? Yeah. This is before the pool? Uh this was before the pool, before I knew the extent of the back injury, which we it's still a bit shrouded in mystery. I don't mm. know what exactly is going on there. Yeah, it doesn't look like it's completely healed at all, does it? Mm. And, and he doesn't – he's not sort of melting. He's, he's sticking in there. And now that he's got uh, one event to go he, and he's – I know that based on that last wave in his heat against Kelly last year in at Pipe, like mm. you kind of feel like, well, if he can do that, maybe he can do something special this year. And you never know what Pipe's going to do. If it's like one of those crappy, you know, 2003 years where everything was pointing towards the biggest climax ever and they're sort of just – arm wrestling in this washy gums shit, you know mm. what I mean? And so Phil's could still factor right in there, especially with a bit of time to heal and um, maybe sensing a bit of weakness in Gabby. But Italo is like, wow. The thing that trips me out about Italo is uh, I feel like we don't we don't really know how good he's going to be yet. It's mm. His potential's kind of uh, very hard to predict at this point. You know, he's been a little bit underground, under the radar his whole career. Um, this is... This year's definitely his breakout year, obviously. And then last year, too, you know, he's starting to show glimmers of form. But, man, this guy is still improving. He's got a ways yep. to go. So at uh, at Pipe, I mean, there's no weakness in his surfing. Uh, I guess huge pits is the only place that uh, he hasn't performed super well at. But he's been strong, as far as I know, um, across most, you know, most of the hollow waves on tour. But, uh, yeah, man, I, I'm hard to, hard to not back him. No, oh, man, he just... No. He surfs at 100% every single turn. Like every yeah. turn, man. He's just blasting it and belting it, and he doesn't seem to give one flying fuck about trying to build a house or any of that shit. Yeah, he's psycho. <laughs> it's crazy. He's throwing like seven, eight, nine crazy punts up in a heat. Like How is he, that varial? Like that was up there with like no and Chip. I reckon of like people who surf and piss clean, he does the best varial. Like, <laughs> like for sure. And he got like a 10 on that psycho backside air too. That mm. was mental. And out of his like seven or eight punts in a heat, you know, he's maybe sticking three psycho ones. He's sticking four pretty psycho ones and he's just missing sticking a couple of absolutely mind-blowing punts. I'd love to like just turn back the clock to I think he got runner up was it in Portugal a few years ago and he did that crazy yeah. slowly rotating backside yeah. air reverse off a lump of backwash. Backwash hit the section. Oh uh, yeah. It's the that kind of section mental. you would get Medina. like once yeah. in a thousand years and to have the composure to see it coming 
and bottom turn and hit the section with the backwash and just slowly rotate like a pig on a spit <laughs> through the air and just stick it as clean as you like. I mean, yeah, probably uh, one of my favourite all-time pro surfing manoeuvres, that one. Yeah, yeah. You, kind, you kind of think, though, uh, going into where we're about to head to, in Hawaii, we've seen the last of all that type of surfing. You know, you might see a snippet of it, but, you know, to, as you said, depending on what the waves are going to be like. But, mm. uh, you know, that's we've had the pleasure of seeing that and go out with a bang at the uh, Portugal, Portugal event. And you sort of think going now into Hawaii, you know, you're not going to see a lot of that big air sort of stuff. It's all about the barrel. It's all about how brave, how how big are your, you know, what's, mm, mm, you know? Yeah, your ovaries. Do you have any left after the year, you know? Are they, you know, so it's, it's going to yeah. be about that, exactly, mm. you know? And, you know, uh, conditions depending, um, you know, what's he got? Mm. It will be interesting to see him throw the hammer at uh, some of those back so- uh, backdoor ramp sections because you get yeah, some doozies he, out he there, come that, flying yeah. out of a pit into a, a six-foot ramp. Yeah. Well, Medina, Medina was doing, like, against Connor Coffin in that heat where he needed, you know, he, one minute he was comboed, but then he gets this pipe barrel, does giant frontside, just straighty, and then he yeah. gets that backdoor one three seconds later. It's sort of coming. You it's can coming. kind of sense it. I remember Bruce Irons always saying that the, the best air section in the world is is coming out of a barrel at backdoor. If you can get hit that bit right, you can go as high as you like. Yeah, so you're saying it's 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 it, changing it like... might be know, coming. The, yeah. the, the biggest problem for me was like when airs go down at pipe or backdoor, it's just, it's either zero or fucking way overcooked. Because, yeah. like, the, the one that Medina beat Mick Fanning in the, uh, the yeah, world title. Paul still feel about that. <laughs> 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 yeah. Don't get me started. That's it's what just, I mean. It's a, it's a layback in the whitewash yeah. shithouse semi-full rotor. It's just fuck kills me. He was robbed. He was robbed. Yeah, but Mick got <laughs> a barrel got at the away. start of that. But I just think that that's, that's yeah. the danger. Is yeah, the danger is. I suppose that's judges, what I was trying to say, yeah, in a way. If they're not fucking 100% yeah. rock solid about how they're going to score airs out there, then fucking look out for a, a, you know, we could be in for a shit call. Yeah. I reckon wild cards will play into it because, like, the top seeds end up playing the wild cards kind of in the first mm. rounds, right? Yeah. Yeah, I'd love it. Like, who are potential wild cards this year? Because, like, Gabby could just get pipped by some, like, hectic, like... Benji Brand, I'm yeah. sure, will be in the mix. Baron Mameo, those Baron sorts Mameo of dudes. Baron would be. He's yeah. a weapon out there. Mm. And Jeez. those guys... Absolutely rinsed on CBD with slitty eyes, getting <laughs> just the <laughs> craziest vision out there. You don't, <laughs> want to be drawing, you don't want to be drawing the new school Gavin Gillette you know when the title's on the line, do you? <laughs> That is such a good point, though, because it's not just about like the fact that those guys are pipe specialists. It's that they they Medina people out there. They they paddle out going, "This is my wave." They still have it. They still mm. got that classic, you know, "This is our reef." Like, don't think that you're fucking hot shit. Mm. Like, they'll give you respect. Sort up into Neko. Oh yeah, man. But you know, all the boys uh, who have surfed in the Pipe Masters finals uh, over all these years have, at some stage, no matter how good they were, um, you'd remember Gary Elkerton. Dave McCauley, that year where they were surfing against Derek Ho for the world title, there was six-man heats, and the, the local boys didn't give him a sniff. And and Elko was already a pipe master at that stage. So and it wasn't like, you know, Dave Macker didn't know how to pack it either. And by the way, quick shout-out to Dave Macker yeah, Dave. and Bronte too. Yeah, the swelling. Yeah, Jack McCauley, up the swelling. <laughs> you love him. Young Jack Amada. <laughs> Call Lord Cone Pig. Oh, biggest Generous. legends well ever. I was so psyched to see them over there in France. But, yeah, anyway, look, back to what's coming in Hawaii. Like, 
that wild card factor could mm. definitely throw a huge cat amongst the pigeons. But the, the coolest thing is that if you look at who's left in this title race, all four or five of them, so you've got uh, the three Brazilian lads and then you've got, uh, sorry, uh, Kolohe and Geordie, right? Geordie last year in Hawaii was one of the standout guys. He was incredible. He moved there and he finally just got a pipe act and was packing it in these big backdoor cones. And, mate, he, he's going to be backing himself, I reckon, maybe for the, one of the first times ever in Hawaii to actually get a result of pipe. I kind of think of him more of a Sunset or a, a Halle Eva guy, but he could do something special, man. Mm. Why chalky? Mm. I go hard. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Number two. Marksy bra throwing backside hammers like a Russian Bolshevik circa 1917. It was hammer time. <laughs> hammer time. Panish for the mini Uh Guess what year Caroline Marks was born in Vaughan? This is going to trip you out. Jeez, I'm scared to answer this. You, no, you're scared to I reckon I've got blackheads older than her. <laughs> Is it 2001? 2002. Say, 2002. Yeah, yeah. Jesus. Oh, no. That's, That's awful. heavy. That is awful. Oh. It's mind-blowing. Uh, yeah, I mean, she got the the, the, the contest win uh, and just an incredible, incredible year for mm. a 17-year-old. So she's a rookie. Is she? No, 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 no. This is her second year on top. I think it's the second year. But, yeah. but That's my line. came out, won the first event of the year. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how long it takes you to find your feet on tour these days. If you're a, a world-class prodigy and you come on, we've seen it so many times, you often fall off after your first year. Andy fell off after his first year. I mean, our brother, Kaloe, never really made any headway in his first couple of years, even though he was like a seven, eight-time NSSA champion. All these like crazy talents come on and they've got to deal with the actual real fact that the big dogs might welcome him in on the beach and try and make him feel welcome, but in a heat, it's just a it's a bully. It's a bully fest. You're just gonna cop every trick in the book to just try and belittle you and make you feel diminished and nothing. She's just found that recipe to uh win heats. And I think what it is is intimidation. Because I just don't see anyone hitting the lip as hard as her. That no one. Like Steph and Caroline can carve like better than anyone mm. on like uh, on par with anyone on tour, men's or women's. But no one is hitting the lip, old school, you know, eighty style ha. like Caroline. You said it earlier, Jody. Like she fucking hacks and it. it, and it's just yeah. all f- with flow. Yeah, and that's what they're frothing on. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's just not like this turn bang and then wiggle 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 down again yes. bang. It's all one maneuver connected to the next, and the speed doesn't change. It just goes, the driving off the bottom turn, smack into the lip, comes out. Do you know what I mean? It's all. It's yeah. I can't explain it. Do, any more do you than remember that. when um, Kelly Slater? I think he first got on tour and he was sort of like figuring his way around the the alpha dogs like Potts and yeah. TC and all that and. Pot's got blind one night at Rock Food or something and came up to him and said something like, you know hey, what I you like about you? You know what I like about you? You smack the lip. And I was like, <laughs> he reckons it was the first nice thing any of those guys had ever said to him. Yeah. But that is like classic surfing from that era, like coming off the bottom. It and is. Vert, full noonies, just like cracking it off the lip. 
before you started sliding tail or... And I think everyone's enjoying seeing that. Fully. It's yeah. the di- point of difference. You know what I mean? Just a return the to the glory days. Yeah, you know, and the judges it. are loving to see it. You know, the spectators, we're all loving seeing it. And it's just another completely different style. Has she got the... Well, has she got the gumption to see it through in Maui, do you reckon, Joe? Well, I think it's going to be, you know, she she's obviously incredible on a backhand. Like I said, we've seen her at Jeffrey's, you know, early on in the year, ripping. It's a great wave. It's a mechanical. It, it, anyone could bloody rip on that wave, you know what I mean? It's just so beautiful. Um, it's got a clear bottom, you know. But the thing is, it just depends on how barrel it's going to be, I mm-hmm. think. I think it's if it's going to be more of a barrel this year, then I think, you know, like Carissa and Steph and other people are going to probably shine. They could smoke her, maybe. Mm. Um, but if it's more of a drawn-out hot doggy wave on the day, then I think she could definitely take it to them. But then again, it's that rookie pressure. She's now stepped up to being able to win, mm. right? Correct? Is that yep. the win? Two win wins. Win? Two wins this year yeah. so far. But she could... Where, where's she sitting in the world title thing? Can she Third, take, I think. Can she take the world yeah. title? Yeah, that's oh, what that, I thought. It's sort of like it is she, resting on. She isn't striking distance, but yeah. the difference is she now has that pressure where she's probably never felt that before. Oh, this is what this tastes like. I could win this thing? Holy moly. And it's being able to just control all that and then win an event with all that freaking noise and story and get off my shoulder negative person. You know what I mean? Yeah. So this is new for her, I think, where the others, like Carissa, this is just like freaking walking, not a walk on the park, but they've done this that many times. They've just got to focus on, you know, doing the doing the dude, doing the do kind of thing sure. on the day. Mm. Crazy sure. to see that grommet energy on tour too, 17 years old and just, you know, happy to put eight hours in in the day of surfing. Like, well, I think when you win 100,000 bucks in a contest, you'd be happy to yeah. like, spend 24 <laughs> hours doing that thing. I like after like like slapping like six foot shoreys and just like going to town and like yeah. she gets like she gets the win and she's on the beach and she gets put on the shoulder and they pass her like a 500 mil Red Bull can <laughs> and she just skulls it like you need that extra energy and endorphins for when you get on the stage for like holding a $100,000 checkup. Like, last thing you want, I want, like, a Xanax or something at that point. <laughs> no, you don't, dude. You want some CBD oil. CBD oil, yeah. <laughs> Number one. More, more, more. Uh, Carissa Moore claims victory in France and now heads to Honolulu Bay uh, with a stranglehold on the world title, really. Mm. I mean, uh, and she's got to be the, the Honolulu Bay fem goat. Uh, I don't think anyone surfed it better. But uh, yeah, what do you make of of Carissa as an athlete, Jody? Generally, and yeah. do you buy into a nice girl thing? That's what I'm interested in. Oh well, she she is. She's apple pie and Isn't everything. She? She's gorgeous, and nice, and you know she is the real deal. That's she's the thing. So she's lovely. been like that it's ever crazy. since she was a kid. Mm. When she first came on the tour, and she was the latest greatest thing since the old sliced bread. You know, I sort of researched her a little bit, or quite a lot actually, just to, who is this person, mm. you know? And um, she's generally, you know, that is what you get. She is out there to care for, you know, the little ant or the little girl trying to cross the road or the old lady trying to cross the road. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. That is the real deal. And, you know, and that's what's so great about Carissa, you know, like she can, has multi-world titles under her belt. She's got shitloads of money really, you know, but it doesn't seem to – Cut away the niceness, you know. It doesn't. It doesn't eat at that. That I think I got a bit beautiful of, person. Yeah, I think I got a bit of insight into 
uh, Carissa and how she functions a little bit in France this year because yep. I was hanging with her and um, Mitch Ross sort of during the, the French event. And uh, I got the sense that she felt like like she surfs against her personal best rather against other than yeah. against other people. Yeah. So she doesn't yeah. use sort of like hatred or, or wanting to beat that person as the motivation. Exactly. She wants to surf at a certain level. Exactly. And in the conversations I heard between those two, it was all about sort of how she was feeling and what her board was doing. And I don't know, man, it just it didn't seem like she used beating people as her motivation. I couldn't it, agree it, more. It was, it was a really interesting thing because we've speculated heaps of times on this show, haven't we, Smivy? <laughs> that deep down she just wants to tear people's fucking heads off. <laughs> well, didn't she have that, like, psycho paddle battle once? Like, she can pull it out when she needs to. Yeah, oh, yeah. which is competitive for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, Otherwise yeah. she wouldn't have won a world yeah, title before. You can't just or be three. a slobble of little weed. You know, like. <laughs> yeah, but oh, shoulder to shoulder paddle like, battle, that's pretty psycho. You know, you've, you've got to have that <laughs> yeah. in you. But I mean, you there's think, nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I, I wonder if she does come in from a situation like that and, and feel a bit emotionally overwhelmed by it. Even because you know, like that energy when you're not just surfing a heap, but you're involved in some sort of like schoolyard brawl. That, oh yeah, that has an effect on sort of like how you, some people thrive on it. You know, like the Gabbies and the, I mean, uh, Lanes and the, you know that's yeah. those sorts of crews love getting up and under skin. But I feel like maybe Carissa's just not that kind of person. I don't think so. I think she's like I think you summed it up perfectly. And I think like coming down to this last event, she's just going to be focusing on on her surfing the best she can on a perfect wave. And I think that's all she needs to do. Mm. You know, she's she's got everything. Do you see Lakey or uh, Caroline being a threat to her over there? Because I feel like after the. Lakey sort of experienced a little sort of taste of that world yes. title race but yes. then lost first heat and yes. really never got it. That's right. And I think this is going to be a big step up for Lakey mm. because she's been in this position where she can taste that world title. She's put in hard yards. She's won an event or won some events. And I just find sometimes Lakey has that pressure more of a – she puts more pressure on herself. She, she seems like from watching her she feels it more mm. than others where – Going back to what we said, Carissa is more about just her performance in her own, you know, on surfing better. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. And um, and I think, uh, it, you know, Peterson, this could be a good year for her in a sense that she's felt that pressure before and she's learnt where, you know, Carolyn, this is the first time she might be have in this situation so she might feel intimidated by it all and make some mistakes by it where, you know, Peterson might actually have learnt from last year and she has tasted that. She doesn't want to lose that again. So this is going to be a big year for her because the mm. people are going to be watching this going, can she step up, learn from last year and not be the bridesmaid, you know what I mean? For sure. And win it how and you, have enough you, in the tank to do yeah. it. Who are you calling? What, what, what are your, uh, oh, mate, your pits, it's, boys it's, and girls? World title results, one, two, three. In the women's? Mm-hmm. Hard to go past Carissa Moore just yep. continuing – her role at uh, Honolulu Bay. She's from Maui too, yeah? It's I hers to lose, yeah. Yeah, you can't see her being, be- being beaten there. The, the, I'm not the, sure if she's from there. I, I can't actually say, but I know she surfs there shitloads. Yeah. Yeah. The other little side story to uh, the one, two, three between Carissa and uh, Lakey and Caroline is that they're all surfing for those two Olympic spots as well. So oh, yeah. It's oh, not yeah. just about finishing to win the world title, it's like finishing above those other two girls so that you can include, you know, improve Do your you chances. Do you reckon that'll be on their mind right now? I reckon it might be actually. Yeah. The, the, the noise is building around mm, the Olympics. Right. It's not It's not a nothing sort of jokey thing that 
even at the start of the year, you were going, oh, two people qualify at the end of this. Like now that it's becoming real and people have made their national teams, I think people want to be there. That's the vibe I'm getting. Sure, but I'm sort of seeing it like it'll be a bit more like cream on the cake. Yeah. You know what Probably, I mean? Like, yeah. Well, title, oh. and then <laughs> now look what I've got for, look for, looking forward to going to. I'm going so, to Tokyo. So wait, if Gabby has a melt at Pipe and Philippe Toledo performs a miracle and actually gets a barrel out there, <laughs> like, <laughs> does that mean that Gabby's just not doing the Olympics? Because it'd be Dude, Italo, what a question. Italo and Philippe, and then Gabby will just be the sore loser, just having a win. Because Italo won the Ooh. ISA games, right? Yeah. Correct. So, yes, in a pair of cut-off denim jeans shorts, <laughs> a la Daddy Trelaw. Oh, that is unbelievable. There's a few good stories because, like, even John John is still in the Olympic team right now. Yeah, and, and <laughs> I'm apparently, he's in the top 10. yeah, apparently he's like uh, going to surf in the Pipe Masters. That's like all the noise is saying that John John's going to surf in that Pipe Masters. Kelly Slater and Seth Moniz are still sort of top ten or lurking around, right? Ten and eleven, yeah. something like that. So there's this full four-way, but I think Kaloa is the only guy in the American US Olympic team just now. So That's there's one place with four guys on the cusp, and you know <laughs> after watching Chopes what Seth Moniz can do out pipe if it's going to be maxing. Thanks, Dad, for all this stuff I'm about to say. You got me in the water, and I'm here to stay. Yelling, hurry up, Micah, over the back fence on all the day. And don't forget the sunscreen, it looks like a real hot day. Dad's in the car just peeping, hey, where's my leash? Mom telling you we're not going anywhere, and say you've all brushed your teeth. Who brought the wax? That's Ruby's job. Mm. Squished in the back of the wagon. And don't forget Zeus the dog. Thanks, Dad. Start you when I'm flying out and 
some old guy I don't know Even Uncle Matt Pooh's sore from the shore Is putting on a dancing show Thanks, Dad Thanks, Dad After the set, we all paddle back out Everyone's got a smile and a laugh And then from the corner of my eye, I spot it Dad, I think it's a shock He calmly turns to investigate He appears with all his might Honeybee, honeybee, honeybee It's just a dolphin I'm glad you weren't by Smeevy, this is going to blow your mind. The girl singing that song just then is 10 years old. Wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I'm not even joking, mate. I believe it. Her name is Honeybee. She's 10. She lives at Cabarita, doesn't like school, loves music and surfing. She has a dog called Zeus that is bigger than her and an older sister called Ruby. Ruby manages her busking and stuff, takes a little slice of the pie as you do <laughs> when you're the manager. <laughs> That's what happens. But she possesses just, you know, the smoothest voice, mate. I mean, it's just beyond her years. And this is a that, – that was a collaboration with uh, Vinny LaDuce, who's running our jingles program these days. He's, yeah, uh, Vinny LaDuce. He's the man bringing, uh, you know, uh, the Surfcore 2001 anthem, which you might have heard at the start of the show. Now, at the end of that, I don't know if you, you heard it, but the, the Surfcore anthem sort of is like this – I don't know, it's like uh, – 90s, oh, sorry, millennial sort of like, you know, techno song that just is raging and in that experimental zone. But then at the very end, you hear this voice say, 2001. And guess who it is? Who? Margo. I got Margo to do no. it. Just to blow Surfcore's fucking oh, mind. Dude, Surfcore, that, oh, no. he's going to have to clean that gaff out, mate. Oh. His head is just <laughs> popped in that thing. Wow, wow. Yeah, so we got Margo to that. But um, Vinny LaDuce, he is the man. And um, he yeah, worked on that deuce. track there with uh, Honey Bee and uh, it's a collaboration. Many more top shelf releases from this extraordinary duo coming soon. Bring on the soulful summer tunes, my man. Mad. Up the Honey Bees, save the Honey Bees. And now we return to regular programming with Ain't That Swell, proudly brought to you by Davo CBD Oils. Let's just go back to what we were talking about. You know, we've talked about, you know, that those top three that are looking at that world title, but let's look at all the damage that can be done by these other people that are, like Courtney Conlog that mm. would just know she can't win it but just wants to go and take as many. You know the fire that burns yeah, within sure. that girl. She sure. loves that wave. She can rip in that wave and she'd just be sitting there going, I'm taking you all down. I don't Steph care who's well. going to win. Yeah, Steph yeah. is exactly the same, right? Nothing to prove. All to gain. Such a weapon out there. Such too. a weapon. Mm. And uh, then once again, going back to what we were talking about before, who's who's the um, wild card? Wild cards have great results yeah, at Brizzo, that event. Is that Brissa Hennessy? She just went yep, took uh, Sally down. Yep, even Alana Blanchard, was it last year or the year before? You know, She's like, surfing better than ever too. But she got a wild card or something and just yeah. ended up taking scalp after scalp because of you know, obvious you know, obvious reasons and, you know, nothing to lose, all to gain. Mm. So there's all those other factors too that are going to play into it. Oh, love this And they've all got their little reasons on why, they, you know. So it's, it's going to be hard for any one of those three girls who are in that contention if it is just those three. But that, we're all back in Carissa, right? 
All four, yeah, all uh, four of us. Yeah, I if, would if I'm going to back him, I'm putting my money on Chris yeah. for sure. Okay. Just a quick correction too. She's from Honolulu, so yeah, I thought uh, that. Oh, okay, yeah. there you go. That's what. Yeah, I, I thought that. Well, so. she's just made me out. Like she's made Honolulu Bay basically hers mm-hmm. these last mm-hmm. few years, hasn't she? Mm. Uh, what about the men's? How do you see it playing Ooh. out, Smithy? I was oh, so man. back in Medina all year, and now I've completely done a 180. I reckon mm. he's, he might just throw it out. The heart, the heart wants it low to mm. be the world champ. Uh, spend a bit of time with him. Just such a, a humble, quiet, lovely character. Um, you know, we've seen some of the the video footage come out of his hometown. You know, just decking his whole town out with Christmas presents. Um, just a fucking core lord battler legend. Uh, and j- yeah, just an exciting surfer, a new talent. I'd love to see that. And can't see why he can't win. But uh, the brain kind of says Medina. You know, he's been there before. The guy doesn't tend to choke as long as he can just focus on the waves and and he just like you know take a leaf out of Carissa's book and just surf against himself. Yeah, um, I mean, and he's just fucking so mental at pipe. <laughs> Fuck, that, uh, his performance in last year's Pipe Masters, I'll never forget. I think it was round two, one of those really straight kind of just kind of gross days at pipe. It's pretty much all closeouts, and he paddled out with dry hair and just kind of airdropped into this like uh wash through like foamy takeoff thing and just stood like up in this 10 foot cone and got absolutely lit up but like just the drop was so mind-boggling he's mm. probably the best in the world out there outside of uh you know j-o-b or john john when yeah. he's fit so, i mean in last I year's world title climax episode tom carroll was basically handing it out he was just you know <laughs> yeah. he was just saying like and, and a lot of people have said that his approach out there isn't all that uh, dissimilar, you know, he really comes off the bottom super hard and gets under that sort of guillotine really late, and he just puts himself in such perfect position out there. I, I actually feel like it's it could be an eighty-eight Barton Lynch year. <laughs> I, I'm fully calling that we might see something completely unexpected. I I don't know why, but there's so much sort of energy around three Brazilians all at the top. Like maybe, maybe. White chalky might go there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I'm just, I've got this bizarre sort of sense. An inkling. That it just, you know, he's so under the radar, like for a guy of his stature and for what he can do in those sorts of waves, that just maybe he might just use this as the one opportunity to go all bells. You know, like the year that he wins bells, when he's angry and arrogant, that's when he's on. He can't be paddling out and just be going... Uh, I'm going to try and just work my way through these heats. If you if you learned anything about in that final against Italo, it's like every heat has to be for the world title. Mm. And if he can bring that, maybe he might do a BL and just be there at the end of the day. Wow! See what can happens. I'm, I'm just wow. throwing it wow. out there. That's my my theory. Jody, uh, I'm going oh, Medina um, only because what I saw in that guy last year at that pipe. I've I haven't seen. That was like new breaking ground in how deep you got to dig and maintain every second of every heat. And I saw him turn a, I don't know, a piece of poo into a beautiful cake you wanted to eat. Wow. <laughs> I know that that's turn. saying a lot. <laughs> but yeah. There's a lot of cacao <laughs> in, that, uh, in that guy's fecal matter. Might be a, might be a pie on, we need to be eating. Honestly, he, t- he can turn anything into something amazing. So true, and yeah. he did it. And 
all his career, he, he that's how he thrives. He goes off this energy that he finds his way. Maybe it's the whole Brazilian thing, you know. You can find your way out of the worst situation and end up being number one. Mm. And I just think he knows how to tap into that energy. He's used it all his career. He's going into one of his favourite places where he's had amazing results and he p- performs mm. there. Um, so, yeah, um, that's that's, he that's, loves that's pressure. He's absolutely fearless. It's terrifying to think about it. Just a quick insight into Medina too, because I watched his debut there. I've talked about it before at the Quicksilver Pro, and he, uh, he performed so poorly. It was at Snapper on, on his backhand, just really, really shoddy-looking backside at that point. And I remember talking to him the next day, and he just wasn't perturbed by it whatsoever. Like He has this incredible uh, ability to compartmentalize failure yep. and just move on. Like yep. I was tripping, you know, he's 18. He's just choked terribly. Um, he has uh, a fundamental aspect of his surfing that just uh, didn't really work. And then I think it was a year later or two years later, he beats Parker behind the rock snapper. Mm. So, um, yeah, you know, I, he's, he's probably in one of the, the bigger form slumps of his career in a way. He's just had a terrible run in Europe. But uh, heading to pipe, I don't think it's going to bother him. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Two events in a row without a win or a, or a quarter, and it's like, yeah, worst form ever. I know. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, well, I mean. Well, it's just different. It's different from how it was because mm. usually he goes to Europe and goes bang, but he's yeah, lagging back back, yeah. and he's just nipping. So true, well, you know, if someone else is in the limelight, and next minute, drunk, 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 it's like yeah, the, maybe he did it on It's purpose. like a long horse race, the Melbourne Cup, you know what I mean? The one coming last ends up winning the thing, mm. the one that's been running up the front the whole time ends up last, mm. you know. I, so. I just trip out on how much of a role confidence plays in any kind of sport, any profession, really. And uh, I mean, yeah, just he's going to have to deal with some demons between now and Pipe because he's had an absolute proper melt. The Kiowa belly melt is like A-grade, yeah. A-grade melt. Nipplegate. Mm. That's what I've been calling it. He's just come in with his – he just he would have been so <laughs> angry, mate. His, his nip – his rashy almost would have fallen off because his nipples <laughs> would have been that sharp with hatred and anger. <laughs> What's uh, what, what do you reckon, Surf Corp? Um, yeah, like, I don't know. I really want – like, I'd – my heart wants Geordie to win just because, like, he's just so known, like, for perennial melting, like, in this, <laughs> like, late, like, last leg of the tour. And he's, like, genetically predisposed for, like, Hawaiian waves. Like, he's tall, he's broad-shouldered, his nipples are nice and close together for, like, tight barrels, mm, back doors mm, and stuff mm. so he can fit out of them. But it's going to be Gabe and it sucks because he's a massive reptile, but... um yeah, like it's just kind of what you have to be. Like you have to be a competitive cyborg and be able to compartmentalize past failures to make future successes and stuff. So yeah, that's what's going to happen. I reckon. Mm. I've got money on it, so I'm going to hope and Gabe wins. Get the voodoo dolls out swelling and start jabbing. <laughs> All right. So uh, yes, quick detour into the ten greatest achievements. Jody World, Jody World, party time. She's excellent. Jody Cooper at number 10, getting the fuck out of Albany. (laughs) Can you explain uh, where Albany is and uh, how you got out of there, Jody? Um, It's the most southern tip of Western Australia. It never has a summer. It rains all year round and uh, it's freaking freezing. And uh, yeah, well, I finished high school and on my 18th birthday, I packed up the station wagon and headed east. 
Yeah, I couldn't couldn't wait to get out of there. What's the deal with learning to surf down there? Is it just fucking mad dog crazy? Oh, it is. Like... It's freezing. It's cold water. Mm. Um, yeah, it's yeah, it's pretty hardcore. There's not a lot of reef. Well, there's now there's a lot of slab and surfing and stuff like that. Kale Grigson wasn't alive yet. So who are you looking up to around that area? A lot of um, skanky, nice skanky kind of like <laughs> crusty smoke. Dope smokers, yeah, you know? yeah, up there, dope smokers, up yeah, there, yeah, yeah. swellians before, just beautiful blokes that just be old fuzzy beards and you know woolly jumpers and you know just went surfing to go surfing, just hardcore. So what year? What year is this about? Um, I probably started surfing around eighty, nineteen eighty. And what was the surf scene like down there? Uh, oh, six people. Yeah. You'd see them somewhere and then sometimes you'd see them somewhere else and you know what I mean? Pretty... Six people, that's hilarious. Yeah. And, and Six surfers, total. That was a crowd. Mm. Yeah. There <laughs> might have been, say, ten because two came from 200 kilometres down the road kind of thing and they were incorporated in the, the, the crew. And, um, yeah, it was very, yeah, low-key, pretty what, classic. What did they make of having this uppity little – Grommy girl paddle they, out well, in, in. They were really the guys were awesome. I've sort of said this in in other interviews and mm. stuff. Is like, for me, I I never got any of that male chauvinistic kind of drama that was happening on the east coast. Um, they were the absolute opposite. They mm. were like, "There's a girl surfing. This is great. I wish my girlfriend surfed. This is epic. She's in the car reading a, a stupid old love no- novel. You know, mm. I love her to be out which here. Which one so- do you know? Which novels they were? <laughs> Bit, bit yeah. of moons and meals, meals and boons, I think it was. Yeah. But um, so yeah, they were awesome. So they were really encouraging. Always wanted to pick me up to take surfing. Always, you know, push me onto waves. You know, always not so much push me on the waves, but always encourage me. Go, 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 go. This is your wave. Give her a go. All that sort of stuff. So it was epic. And uh, give us a bit of your family history too, because your daddy was a builder and a, a tuna fisherman. You know, you had a very working class upbringing. Albany was a very working class town. Yeah. You know, how did that shape you up? Yeah, well, you know, I had a pretty active, sporty family. They all were pretty, like, you know, besides my mum who didn't play much sport, she just raised five children, which is kind of a sport in itself, isn't it? <laughs> a lot of chasing and tackling yeah, in that game. Yeah, exactly. A lot of telling off and all that sort of stuff. But, um, you know, your dad, we, they were footy players. They all were very good at what they did. So I was, I was brought up in a big sort of you know, sporty family. We also always went to the beach. Dad always had toys like motorbikes and jets, uh, not jet skis, um, uh, ski boats and, mm. you know, crazy stuff. We'd go camping in the back of the the, the wagon or we hanging off the back of it going, yee-haw, you know. Epic. So but no seatbelts and just, you know, it was just great. So it was wild. It was pretty wild upbringing, which was so cool. Mm. And Dad was, um, yeah, like I said, Mum was, a, you know, just a mum. You know, so to, so to speak, just stayed at home, never worked. Well, she worked, as we all know. But our dad was a builder, majority of his life. And then later on in his life, he was a tuna fisherman. So the pretty crazy sort of stuff too, you know, go out to sea for a week and just uh, see I'm massive just wondering, sharks. What, what's the dream uh, for parents who are bringing up five kids in Albany? Uh, what's, what's, what, are they, what are their hopes for their kids? Go to university. Yeah, right. <laughs> just stick you with know, the school break, kind of thing. Don't get pregnant. At uh, 16. That's a big one. Big <laughs> Would one. Would be my, yeah. my, my mother's uh, big big thing. Uh, don't do what she did. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, go to university, I think, was the big thing back mm. in those days. It was like if you made it to uni, then 
well done. You've yeah. made a good parent. Yeah, get a hex debt, get into the system. And uh, we, yeah. I don't think we had hex decks back in those days. Oh, it, was all, it was all free, mate. You just went and, and you just spat out the other end. And in terms of like, you know, you're, you're a woman of like serious intestinal fortitude. Uh, you know, you've got a really like strong backbone when it comes to morality and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, how did, you know, how did those that kind of working class upbringing breed that in you? And yeah, like I'm just interested to know, um, yeah, just how you, you know, developed into such a fucking staunch, legendary, swelling queen. Oh, jeez. Wow. <laughs> I'm blushing. <laughs> no, look, I, I honestly think like just the, the upbringing I had, I came from a lot of love. I came from a great family. I mean, you know, there was all sorts of crazy shit that happened in my family. My family are nuts. Like if I wrote a book, people wouldn't believe it. They'd say I was making it up, that so much has gone down. But, but besides all that, there's been a lot of love, a lot of – um, support, a lot of um, open-mindedness and a lot of just, um, you know, camaraderie as a big family, like we all won kind of thing and, and just being knocked about and had the piss taken. I mean, I was thrashed by my two brothers. Mm. Like I sort of had to be brought up by them because my younger sister at the time was the little hot favourite and whatever and she was a little kitsy little girly girl. And I was like, <laughs> off you go with your two brothers. And they were like four and five years older than me. And for me to survive and not be, you know, shoved in a cave or a, or a box somewhere and they, they opened it up late at the end of the day for me to get out, I had to compete and be up with them sort of thing. So you know, you sort of learnt quick, you learnt hard, you kind of, you know, it was mm. pretty pretty hardcore. But then at the same time, they always looked after you. You know, there was always like, they come here, you know, and, the, you know, look out for her. So they kind of had that, that two, two-way road kind of thing, you know, piss off, don't look while we have a fag, mm. but, um, you know, are you okay? So when did you encounter your first sort of glimpse into the into the Fuck wittery of uh, you know Coast. of the East Coast and, and sort of like <laughs> well how how women fit into surfing at that time because it certainly wasn't any you know the, the equal wasn't even a word right no it, and honestly it really was a spin out for me because um I had it, it's sort of like do you yeah, remember I, an actual occasion like where you sort of had come over with wide eyes and guess going this is great oh, I'll, I'll I'll be a pro surfer and and did oh you yeah 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 have by a, that, a moment where well, you were like when I came over to the east coast for the first time I just went to see what the other side of the whether it was flat mm. you know what I mean was is it round you know what I mean it was literally that mentality from Western Australia. That was before the internet or anything. Like we had different beers, different ice creams from you guys. I hadn't even tasted like the ice creams that Over you guys ate, you know. Over so, east, mate. Yeah. You guys had everything and it just seemed like over east, that's where it all happened. You couldn't do that on the west coast because no one even knew what Western Australia was. Mm. Well, so you guys didn't have frosty fruits and clippos and shit over No, we, we had twin poles, mate. What are yeah. they? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. I rest my case. Like when you so, go you know, Audi like, and you find that brand that like looks like something that you know but you don't. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> that vibe. You're like, hang on a minute. Bizarro cheese, bizarro, yeah, all that. So you can imagine it was a big adventure just mm. for things like that. So um, yeah, you know, so it was just it was a big discovery. Get out of this town before I do become pregnant because there's not much to do. There's no cinemas or theatres or you know, it's just you go to the drive-in and we all know what people do at the drive-in. Mm. So it was like get out of town, you know, go see Australia. And a lot of Western Australians, that you either went to university or you went with four mates in the back of a station wagon and you drank your way around Australia. Mm. And, you, you know, we surf, so we surf. So that's what I did my very first year. 
and had some epic opportunities, you know, living on Stradbroke Island for three months, Cabarita when there was about four houses in the whole town on the point for six months. Um, and then I just decided I knew I wanted to be a professional surfer. So I just went, that's it, went home, worked in a tuna factory for six months, um, did about 400 Lamington drives, you know, did all these sorts of things to make it happen. And then, yep, just from 19 and a half, uh, I went overseas and became a pro surfer. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And what what, what about um, – I'm just curious to know because, you know, like just how shocking it was for you to, to sort of have this dream and to want to do it and, and dedicate all this time and energy and no doubt have, like you said, you know, if you're doing lamington runs and stuff, you've got a whole heap of people helping you out with that. Absolutely, yeah. What How – what, what was the sort of the moment where you were just going and, and then having to put in all that effort and love and then be treated like fucking shit, even just by the, the local, you know, the guy who some thought it was the corpse, best. Some fucking corpse, some fucking carcass. <laughs> some, some like, you know what I mean? Like oh, you're look, getting over it, there it and just having to do it. I'm, I'm like, just curious to know yeah, because look, like for someone like you who has come from a place of support and a, and a good upbringing and a family and work hard and you'll get your results and all that sort of thing, yeah. to just all of a sudden be treated like shit just well, because. I just didn't let it get to me. I laughed at a lot of it mm. and I challenged it. I've always been like that. I don't like backing down from dickheads. Look, you know. Only for that mor- moralistic yeah. point of view, like I piss off, like no, you know, like yeah, you stand up for your values, your yeah, classic, yeah. your working class Bob well, Hawks Australia values. That's it, there mate. you go, there you <laughs> go, mate. You know, and I just so I, it challenged me, and it actually drove me to be better or a better surfer. Like when I saw that, and like you'd get guys going, "Get out of the water, you're just a girl." So the next wave, I just rah, just paddled into it harder, and just it just drove me to surf better. Mm. And you know, I'll show that person by just doing what I do, which is surfing, and that just sort of drove me to want to get better and better and better and just prove them all wrong, not not be wordy. I mean, I'm, I, you know, I was cheeky. I might say, oh, Nick off. You know what I mean? Oh, peace off, you old, you old, you know, you old man. You know what I mean? <laughs> like I was well really, said. That always hurts. <laughs> yeah. I was really pulling out Nothing the big guns. Nothing will hurt a man's ego like being called old, eh? Oh, yeah. You go easy. Yeah. But <laughs> you, you, you get my point, you know. So I, I sort of, yeah, you, you'd be cheeky back at them something like that. But, yeah, I just mm. wanted – it just drove me to be a better surfer and to prove them wrong that girls could surf. And that, Swellians, is what we call a massive <laughs> number nine. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, runner up at Bells Beach, what was it, three or four years after you first stood up on a surfboard, you, you got to yeah. run up at the World Tour event? I mean, are you kidding me? How? Well, I, was, I won it in 87 and I had three or four runners up in a row and I learnt to surf when I was like 16. So, yeah, there wasn't a lot of time in between. Um, I obviously picked it up pretty quick. The fact that we never had a lot of events in really good waves and Bells was like, oh, my God, that was, that was you know, the only decent wave you kind of surf at um, except Sunset. Um, it just suited my style because finally you could you had room to move. You could actually do a bottom turn and hit a lip mm. where I felt it found it very hard being from Western Australia and used to so much power. Surfing places like one or two foot Bondi or even – you know, we might get Manly Beach on a windy onshore day. I found that very hard in mm. my surfing repertoire. Uh, so once I'd get to somewhere like Bells, it, it allowed me to showcase what my surfing could 
could do because I had a power on a wave. And so I think that was the reason why I kind of, you know, had good results. But also once you packed that station wagon, as you were alluded to before, and, and you left Albany, you know, yep. you, you pretty much camped out in every mental surf zone. I did. East of Albany, all the way to Noosa. Yeah. And just gorged, getting coned out of your mind and doing <laughs> crazy hackbacks. It was epic. I mean, yeah, talk to us about that period and, and how were you living? You must have been on the full, uh, the hot tuna diet, the the, the five bean mix, uh, yep. four bean mix, I brown lived, rice. I, I call it the Bob Hawke surf tour. Mm. So basically, we would um, go to a town every two weeks and get your old check. This is after the this is after the money <laughs> ran. <you> Robert, <laughs> yeah, this is after the money ran dry, which was pretty much as soon as they got to the east coast at Bells. You know, you spent it all. You've been in cactus for a month, eating you know all that sort of stuff, snake and all snake. sorts of stuff, oh, and uh, eating snake. Yeah, oh, that's yeah. the first time I ate a snake was in cactus. But anyway, kill snake, Penang's finest. But you know, you got there, you've spent all your money because you know you didn't have a lot to, to, to save anyway, and then um, so basically. Especially after you've you've sort of lived in Sydney for a month, so I did the Bob Hawke tour up the coast. <laughs> I remember waiting in Angari in this. Um, I, I see it today. It was like this. Um, we rocked up and um, we were camping in the bushes in a tr- with a tree. You know, I mean, sorry, with a tent, and um, we didn't realise how how it rained up here. So we got here and then we got those weak downpours, and what was where we camped turned into a flooding river. So we just watched all our bags like float down the the river, and we're waiting for this dole check. That's probably one of the most miserable times I can remember because we couldn't move town because we had to wait for another five days before we got paid before we could eat, and uh, we're just sitting in the swamp, and uh, yeah, just waiting for next Tuesday kind of thing to rock around. So we got our next money to get to the next destination. So a lot of funny things like that, you mm. know. I uh, lived up at uh, Noosa and. Lived on the other side of Noosa where you had to paddle across, and the guys I was living with um, grew pot for a living. And oh, yeah, and they um, well, you trade and uh, <laughs> anything it was so funny because they'd go out at night and then come back in the day, and you'd, you'd look in the back of the car, and they'd have like three dead cats, a dead dog, a kangaroo, and they'd all go um, dead animal hunting to, to put in their. Plot. Oh, a bit mm. of fertilizer. Yeah, a bit of fertilizer. Yeah. So, you know, anyway, crazy yeah, stuff. Alfie's, I not, some crazy Alfie's prone to a bit of uh, finding some venison on the side of North Arm Road and just hacking it into his curry at the end of the week. Yeah, yeah well played, Alfie. It's just to clarify, you know, that Bob Hawke surf tour, you, you might have heard Nick Carroll talk about it before, Smivy, where, you know, the Labor government at the time implements this dole scheme, basically, handing out money to crew who are doing it tough or whatever. And, and he has said, like, Australian surfing has a lot to thank. Bob Hawke for with that because oh, all of a sudden you've he got was a, a great sure. man. The whole got country's got a lot to thank Bob Hawke. A generation surfers. of guys who are just going, what? Free money? Universal health care and one of the greatest generations yeah. of surfing talent to uh, <laughs> two of his greatest achievements, Bob Hawke. Yeah, well, Absolute I mean. legend. And, of course, uh, sculling a yard glass full of beer in record time. Yeah, I don't make prime ministers like that anymore. No, no. He's a, he was definitely a dime breed. Mm-hmm. Number eight, victory at the OP Pro Huntington Beach in front of 110,000 screaming septics <laughs> moments before the whole joint erupted in a giant riot. I mean, that's not exactly the chronology, but uh, it was no. more or less. Yeah, well, I think the riot happened the year after that, but the 85 was, uh, <laughs> no, not. but at the same time, it was, it was you know. Cone piece reneged. It, is, <laughs> it was uh, my first ASP World Tour win. I'd sort of, uh, well, we, I'd gone from rags to riches. I was living in California. I had to get to Europe. 
couldn't afford to fly home. So uh, I just, I just like I said, literally went from having $2 in my back pocket and, you know, winning your first event is huge in itself. But then to win like, you know, I think I won like 4000 US dollars and that's when the dollar was like, you know, nearly double. Mm. And I won a car. I mean, that was just like, I won a car. Someone handed me a set of car keys. That was just so Whoa. epic. Yeah. I'd made it big. The only people who win cars in Australia at that time are a Champions on sale of the century. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, That's what it felt like. That's exactly <laughs> what it felt like. So, yeah, it was a pretty big moment in my life. And it was bloody hard to win a final back in those days. Mm. You know, they had Who were you up against? Who were like the, just the – I'm not saying it's not hard to win it these days. But oh, no. in the aspect of what I'm saying is – you had to win. It was the best of three heats. Oh, that's his right. Man. Full origin decided. It was like, <laughs> oh, man, they win a heat. They win a heat. And you go up for the bit. So you potentially that much froth mm. for three heats. You know what I mean? Like it was full on. And um, and But the crowds there, as you were saying, were just off the Richter scale. It was just like, you know, you, you had to be um, – you know, security guarded down to the water and people had banners and it was, yeah, it was kind of like um, no other events had that sort of like peak. Mm. And who were the, who were the like the biggest challenges for you then? There was like Wendy, Pam. Uh, Kim Merrick. Kim Merrick, yeah. So she was Zamba. a two-time world champ. Frida, yep, Frida Zamba, Zamba. Three, yep, yep, three-time yep. champ. So. Yeah, that was, that was sort of some of the, uh, the, the most consistent names of, of mm. that era. And what about the riot? So uh, well, you were telling me before uh, some chick uh, flashed, let her, flashed let, the tits. Yeah, let her nips miss and uh, neck minute cars That's were getting overturned and people were self-immolating on the streets of uh, Huntington Beach. She, they, she flashed her boobs, her breasts, to put it nicely. Anyway, yeah, so at the back, at these events, I think they used to hold them at this weekend in America. It was like the biggest weekend of in America. It's called Labor Day, I think it is. And like everyone who's nobody goes to the beach. Even if you don't go to the beach, you all go to the beach and barbecue and, you know, take your bike and everything. So like I said, 110,000 people down there and they have, you know, like the skateboard riders happening, the skate ramps and there's all these shenanigans going on and up the back there's a couple of restaurants that are up, up high street level and this chick had a few too many drinks and she came out on the balcony and, you know, skimpy bikini on and someone must have screamed, hey, take your top off. And she did. Mm. So she took, Fucking queen. Yeah, Legend. I mean, that's just, you know, it happens every day in Australia mm. kind of thing back in that era. So she just flashed the boobs and everyone went, you know, you can imagine Americans are so prettish. You know, if you wrap your tail around and drop your dax, you they they think you're naked, mm, you know. Mm. But then you can go and buy a Hustler and oh. an AR-15 and a bottle of Xanax exactly. and just go <laughs> exactly. ham. Exactly. So she flashed the boobs and the crowd were like, yeah, that's the best thing since sliced bread. And they're mm. all pissed because they're all there drinking and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And um, then they said, flash them again. So blah, she did it again. And then all of a sudden the cops came and they arrested her. Oh, the fucking oinkers. Yeah. Of course they did. The fun police. So they came and arrested her and then went to take her away and then the crowd would just, you know, imagine it just went from a moo, mm. you know, moo to uh, bring bring the backups, reinforcements and it just went to, it was just mental watching this crowd move and get violent and everyone knew you had to get out of there and most of the surfers, ex- we were in a cage. So the, oh, that helps. Yeah, it, it did, but the, you could see the cage moving because of the people were just, you know, getting pushed. And oh. so we were in one, like a fence sort of thing, you know. And um, 
So a lot of the surfers had to escape from the front kind of thing or – and then, anyway, it basically turned into a national riot where cars were turned, lit on fire, you know, all the little life-saving towels were pulled down. I witnessed cops bashing innocent people on push bikes – just caught up in the bike path because mm. there was a bike path at the back and people were riding up from the next town and would hit it. And then it was just it was just Carnage. Absolutely. Yeah. Something you'd Police see, you think, got in South Africa. Set on fire. Like it was proper. Yeah, it was the bananas. real Yeah, the deal. photos are psycho I've, of that. It I've looks actually like, got like the Middle photos. East, like the Gaza Strip or something. It's yeah. like full on. Mm. I actually kept the front page of the LA Times. I still have it at my house. Wow. And, yeah, because it's just... Yeah, you just That's think you're in Johannesburg or something like well, that. I, I think Oki and Glenn Winton, I think, might have to check my notes there, yeah. but uh, I think they were in the final I and they just kept sending them back out to exactly, surf it to keep the crowd from yes, dispersing after yes, it finished back into exactly the right. So happened. they were just wow. trying to, trying to uh, you know, keep as many people away from this mess that was happening down the beach. But, I mean, what is that? Is that a shameful day for surfing or is it just a shameful day? Just chuck it on the pile right. of shameful days said for America. what they should have done. Showed her tits. She got arrested. You fucking do turn cop cars over that. <laughs> I would have loved to see like Glenn Winton well come in and like enforce with like bitch slap a few cops with like his Mister X gloves on. That'd be so mad. <laughs> Just go full Marvel superhero. Yeah. Uh, Number seven, first out and proud gay female surfer yep. on tour. Anyway, I think probably, I mean, has, probably didn't know any before. But uh, how difficult was all that? That whole period. Um, yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty, um, it was hard. It was really hard. Um, only because, well, not only because, it was hard for lots of reasons. It was hard because um, everyone was so homophobic back in those days. Um, it was, <laughs> it was really difficult. And at the end of the day, not only was I a female surfer, but I was a gay female surfer. So that was pretty hard to please people, you know, and everyone wants to be loved. Everyone wants to be liked, you know what I mean? So that was pretty tricky. And, you know, the surf industry was, you know, let's let's not beat around the bush. It was pretty, you know, small-minded, a lot of, a lot of people's mentality when it comes to those sorts of issues. If you didn't sort of, you know, if you weren't hot and sexy and had a good ass, then you were picked. You you know you you, were you couldn't earn money. You, you almost you, couldn't earn right. money. That's right. You couldn't earn money. Yeah. You couldn't earn money. So there was that aspect. There was also the aspect of the ridiculousness of what people thought I was, like some praying freaking woman. I don't know. I mean, I was in a ten-year monogamous relationship for goodness sakes my whole career. So that's the ironic ironic thing about it. And um, this the stupidity of what people make up. Mm. You know, they make up stories just because they want to talk about it. And they know nothing about it, so they just – I heard a story once that apparently I was caught in a threesome in a car in Huntington Beach. I mean, I've never been in a threesome, you know what I mean, mm. at, at the time. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. But, um, <laughs> yeah, but you know what I mean? It was just It was just crazy. People would make up – and I would sit there and think, how did the Chinese whisper get mm. from that to that? You know, and all it is is because people, I don't know, they just make up crap because they think that self betters themselves, oh, maybe. It's, is it's, that why? Yeah, I was wondering what is the motivation to just spread baseless rumours and innuendo? Well, I think because people think, I've had this happen before, people think if they can tell a good yarn, it makes them look more important mm. or makes them important because people are listening and they go, I better tell a good one. And I think, oh, I don't care if I talk a bit of a porky pie. 
I'll just tell it because then everyone goes, no way. Do you know what I mean? That, that's yeah. my analogy of mm-hmm. why they do but it. It's, it's so true. I mean, uh, like when we were grommets at any beach in Australia, there was a handful of stories about uh, gay rendezvous that had happened on tour that you had come sort of, you know, yep. Chinese whispers down the chain and you never knew what to believe. But the, the overwhelming way in which these stories were told were always quite ne- – oh, 100% negative. Like it was yeah. the worst thing that you could ever hear or the worst thing that could ever happen. And it just sort of bo- uh, beggars belief that that was just the overwhelming attitude of people. Yeah. Mm. Was that, that it was just something awful, you know? Yeah. So and, and the word awful, I think one of the worst things was it made you feel awful about who you were. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. the guilt I had for so many years. Oh. Guilt just on your shoulders. I mean, I. I but is that, I didn't want this. I, I want to be normal. You and know was what that, I mean? that wasn't just um, surfing though, right? That was like Australia at the time or was that around the world at the time or was it just well, particularly look, right? Look, I think it was a well, well issue, you know, like it's come a long way, hasn't it? You know, like it, I mean, I, I used to stay a lot in America so I could disappear when I was sort of um, experimenting with my sexuality or just trying to figure out what the heck's going on. I kind of uh, stayed in America a lot because I could get lost. You know, I wasn't a celebrity, not that, you know, I was obviously someone in the surfing world, but over there you could just disappear and you could do whatever you wanted to do and walk down the street or go to a gay club or to meet people or just to talk to people. You could kind of get lost there. So I, I sort of did that a lot to hide and um, and feel normal, one, you know, for certain t- times of the, of, of the week. And then it was horrible having to hang out with friends and people and have a lie. Do you know what I mean? Because you couldn't tell them. And I hate lying. I, you know, mm. I'm not going to say, oh, yeah, I've seen this really cute guy at the moment. You know, and you're not, you know, because you think you've got to hide it. And it, it, it anyway, you kind of get what I'm saying. And it oh, was horrible sure. having to, to be that person. So that was the real reason why I sort of just, like, halfway through my career, like, people knew I was gay, but I wasn't like, Dun, 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 dun. I'm gay. Hi. By the way, my name's Jody. You mm. know, you weren't like, Freddie Mercury. Uh, you know, sniffing rack off uh, plates strapped to. I couldn't afford head. it. <laughs> Wild Manhattan party. No, nah, couldn't no. afford it. But um, yeah. Anyway, so you did, know, it was, was there after you came out? Yeah. Was there? Uh, was there like? Did you have people on tour or or in that world starting to sort of thank you for that, or did they come along, or did you just no. see that 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 per, uh, the perseverance of people just sort of putting up with their own pain or their own they shame. They put up because, their own pain. Yeah. Well, well, the interesting thing that happens, which is does a lot of people obviously had felt a certain way and they felt terrified and they usually are the worst ones. Mm. They're the ones that go, Extra hard to you're revolting, of... that's gross, mm-hmm. she's rebonominating, you know, whatever that word is, she's just really horrible. And then the funny thing was – as when I become comfortable and out and, you know, everyone had said everything. So you couldn't get me anymore because, yeah, I am a lesbian, big deal. Or I am bisexual, I am whatever, not to label whoever anyone is. But um, it just didn't hurt anymore because, yeah, you got it right. But watching them then go through it and then come out was just like, ah, now I know why it was so, you know, because they were so terrified that they projected all their fear and anger onto me kind of thing in a mm. way, you know, because they were they kind of knew and that happened a few times, uh, quite a lot actually, more than a few times. So kind of at the end in a, in a not very nice way, I kind of had the last laugh, 
It doesn't sound very nice to say that, does it? But it kind of what happened, you know? Mm. And it was like, it was interesting. I mean, that was one aspect of it. And then there's the other aspect of it, like, you know, you know, like the, like the guy thing and they just look at you like, you know, they fucking, you know, just another not to why they could just say why I deserve not to make any more money in surfing kind of thing or why I didn't deserve decent waves in the water or something, you know. A lot of close, a lot of close-mindedness. Have you seen like any, I don't know, examples of, of that attitude having changed radically since – you came out? Like has there been uh, – because like we haven't really had anyone on tour no. or coming onto the tour well, or you know, anyone openly – KK has done that. Yeah. You know, she's been pretty vocal about it. But not – you know, there's uh, a couple of longboarders have um, – Schumacher? Yeah. Uh, but not a lot because, look, you're making money for a living as your image. Mm. You know, I mean, the girls – well, guys, I mean, you know, when, when, I mean, you know, what, one in 10, they reckon is gay. Do mm. your maths. You know? Yeah. <laughs> and yet, like, is statistically, do you think, you know, one in 10 is the statistic, but is there a higher representation of, uh, and this is a controversial yeah. thing I'm about to say, but I'm, I'm fascinated by this. Uh, is there a higher representation of gay female professional surfers? Like, is there, is there more gay female surfers, professional surfers, then exist in the general population and, and, and why might that be? Um, I'd say no to that. No? But I think there was a period of time when that was the case. Mm, mm. Um, you know, you could pick a year or three years or maybe a, mm. a period of, say, four or five years, yes, and I think there's reasons for that. Mm. But now, not at all because mm. there's such a vast diversity of not just women but people in general that mm. surf, you know. Mm. Once upon a time, even male surfers, it was a particular type of guy that mm. kind of surfed, you know what I mean? And now we went through the era where there's lawyers, there's doctors, there's freaking goody two-shoes, yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> where once upon a time we were a breed mm. of type, you know. For sure. Generally, yeah. you know. In terms of those reasons, I've always had this theory that, you know, if you're a female growing up, surfing in the era that you came from or even many subsequent eras, mm. like you're in this toxic male-dominated mm. environment yeah. where men are paddling rings around you, they're abusive to each other. You just see the absolute fucking worst, most base characteristics of men. And I'm sure after that you'd just be like, well, I don't want to fucking that cunt in me. Fucking hell. I'm sticking oh, with my own funny. kid. That's funny. <laughs> sometimes theory. I think it's yeah, a theory. It's just a theory. Sometimes I think, yeah, that's the reason why I'm gay. <laughs> no, it's not. Nah. Oh, <laughs> spike that one. Not true. No, I mean sometimes you think women might sometimes would stay clear of all that for sure, and I might just take a wide berth to all of that. But mm -hmm. pretty yeah. narcissistic, really, isn't it? It's still about men at the end of the day, isn't it? <laughs> anyway, uh, thirteen number five, thirteen world tour victories. Uh, you got runner-up uh, to the world yep. title in 1985, was it? Yep. And, uh, yeah, just, you know, your favourite tour wins, favourite wins on tour. Um, we've already discussed the OP Pro, uh, winning back-to-back uh, -back wins in Hawaii at the time when we had two events and I won the Haleiwa and then I won Sunset. Uh, obviously winning my first Sunset was good, which was, was excellent. How many Sunset victories did you get? 
I won a few. It's a few, isn't it? Yeah, a few. And I was always. There was a a few years there where, like, you were the. Yeah, and I always made the final. mm. Like, I was always second or made the final or, like, that was the $10,000 era. That would have been another one. That would have been a good one, yeah. (laughs) Don't worry, don't worry. We're all sending, we're all going to be getting on the uh, the Gabe Medina email troll train and getting getting Pam. We're going to be giving her a service. Williams will be on board, don't you worry. (laughs) Yeah, you should unfollow Pambo on Instagram. That's like the beginning of it. (laughs) But I, um, what I was going to say is Kelly yeah. Slater has never won an event at Sunset. He just cannot get the wave dialed. I don't know. He's been in a few finals. It's it's the the scene of the great door opening, you know, when he, he went to uh, Hawaii in the lead and yep. and Andy in the 2003 world title race, they paddle past each other. Kelly's just lost the heat. Andy paddles, you know, they have that, that meeting in the channel and Andy's yep. like, oh, brah, you just left the door so open. You know, <laughs> that whole thing. It's really been an Achilles heel and yep. – People who surf at sunset and surf at well tend to always like get results there. Their standouts there. It's it's just what makes it's, that way it's such just a, a. It's how like did you connect pipe. to it? It's like pipe. It's, yeah. it's a it's a specific type of wave. It's a big, broad ocean wave that comes in like a massive peak, and it's got so much power to it. And you know, it it, it it's. You've got a lot of room to move out there, but you've got to know which way that swell is going to hit, where it's going to hit on the reef. And at the end of the day, you're only going to do good out there if you spend time out Mm. there. It's a time thing. I think Kelly's probably spent the majority of his time at Pipe. You know, that's his wave. He buys a house there. He's out there. The photos are better at Pipeline too. Mm. That's it. That's Mm. the glamour. Mm. There's, you know, there's not a lot of glamour. You're out, you're surfing your own race out at sunset. You know, you you see a few shots at sunset, but it's all happening down on that strip. Mm. And that's called a Kodak reef, right? And it was a burn. It was a burn to surf off the wall and, and pipe and, and backdoor in those years when sunset yep. was king. And that's where you make some jing jing, you know, like, you know, like Rocky Point all down through there, you know, it, it was different back in those mm. days, you know, and if you got a couple of good photos, your, your sponsors were stoked, you could make a cover maybe, or if you're a guy. But you, know. you did get a lot of photos at sunset. I mean, you're one of the rare few surfers who, sure, this is men or women who actually Got shots, but and that was the only time they there. probably got the camera out. Mm. You know what I mean? Because you're in Hawaii, and there were photographers there, and it was the surf contest, and they're going to take a photo of it. You know, um, but it's a it's a very specialised uh, wave, and I think, like I said, back to the Kelly thing, he probably spent all his time at at pipe, and if, you know, I mean, like we all know, Kelly could surf an ironing board and still win an event, mm-hmm. but that is such a specialty event. Maybe he just wasn't dialed in at that spot. What's your take on Kelly being unable to perform at sunset surf call? Um, I don't know. It's so like I actually hadn't even thought about it until you brought it up. But yeah, he's definitely fucked now that he's riding like five foot three epoxies. But um, <laughs> <laughs> there was that clip of him like riding a five three epoxy round nose out there recently. But he was also wearing like an impact vest and it was like eight <laughs> foot. <laughs> it's so funny. But yeah, I don't know. He's definitely lost it now, and there's so many young talents that have, like, especially local talents, have mastered sunset. Like Mason is just one of those guys that, like, you couldn't beat him out there. Really, like, it's just the only time I think he says it too. Like, the only time he loses heats is when he doesn't have time to get two waves. Like, that's it. So, mm. but he has just been brought up on that way. I mean, that's, yeah, exactly. There's one surfer. What, like what we just said. He was surf little valves on the inside. I mean, that was just yeah. his back door, the front door break. He's been every day of his life out there probably, mm. you know, as a kid. All right, let's stay in Hawaii because I skipped a number. Number six, uh, you were the first 
woman pretty much in history to earn a place in the lineup at backdoor and off the wall. Um, well, one, like, I guess so, right? Well, I, I think was there I was any one, others before you that. Well, no, look, I think I was one of the first ones to venture down that way. Mm. It was pretty intimidating, and I'm not saying I was the first or anything, anything like that. But in that era, I think. Uh, because I spent a lot of time in Hawaii and just on the hard yards and I knew to sort of get a photo, you had to go there. And that's the re- like what we just discussed before. And then I thought, well, I'll venture down there. I hated Pipe because it was like, oh, all those people on that pinprick just drove me crazy. Like, you know, just not enough room to move down there, you know. Like everyone was scratching on top of each other. So I would just slink down and try and be a la casual down at Backdoor you know, taking off and eight closeouts, but then you got the one gem and I just sort of learnt to feed off that kind of thing. And I knew if I conquered that or did that, that would take me to another level in the eyes of the people that I was striving to be liked by mm. kind of mm. thing. So it was it was a, you know, a multiple – it was multiple reasons and why I chose to do that kind of thing, you know. It was a tactic to get – kudos two was just to get photos because i knew that's where all the cameras were was it spooky though like yeah it really was it's it's yeah it is like when there's not enough sand on those you know you you, as we all know you're surfing into a you know close out like i said nine times out of ten they can be closed out but that one is a Mm. gem and you've got to put your life on what about the the lineup itself like where you're paddling out and and you know as as well as the fact you're dealing with Big, heavy, hollow waves in like shallow reef, which yep. everyone's shitting themselves paddling out into anyway, yep. barring maybe a couple of them. But then you're oh, dealing also the with face, yeah, big all these faces. Tom, I remember yeah. my like my year. I remember, yeah, I remember I I, got, I took off on a wave and Sean Thompson dropping in on me. And oh, good on you, Sean. Yeah, I know. It was I classic, it. and there was always a funny thing because I think I pulled in. I knew the, the professor was full of shit on the on fucking. In God's hands, mate, on you. He talks all poetry, but he's awful. Shit, he's dropping <laughs> he, he in was on you. a misogyny tumor. No, he, he was cool. He was really diplomatic, but by it, but at the end of it, it was it ended up being a joke. But it was funny though, because he just thought it was the classic scenario. It's a chick. Don't worry, she's not going to make the drop. She's going to waste the waves, so just mm. drop in on her. But you know that only doing that to someone like me is like fuel on the fire. Yeah. I mean, I probably would have fallen off it because he did that. There's no freaking way I'm falling off, you know. <laughs> so it's that classic, you know. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. And how disconcerting was it uh, paddling into a lineup when there's just there's not another woman there? Like, I mean, I, I, you remind me of the, the, the great American boxer, the black boxer Jack Johnson, you know, just this – black Adonis cruising through white society <laughs> um, and not giving two fucks. But, you know, it just, I don't th- it's, cra- it's it's a pretty trippy I don't think I thought that hard about it. In. It was more about, you know, I wasn't worried about there wasn't any other girl surfers out there. I was, it was like, great, there's not another person out there, you know. It was just more of wanting to break down barriers. Mm. It was all about breaking down barriers. I suppose it still is today, but more so in my mind back then, like world titles, you know, like when I came out, I never really actually said to myself, I'm going to win a world title. I actually said to myself, my goal was I want to be the best surfer full stop, like not best woman surfer, but I just wanted to be like regarded as, you know, a really good surfer, Mm. not male or female. And so for me, it was just breaking down those 
those barriers or those ideals that people had. And that, that was more the carrot that dangled in front of me in my career was always to prove not people wrong but to show them that it can be done or that, you know, it's possible. You know, so that's that's why I went surfing there. That's why I did it. That was my focus. That was what drove me. That that's why you're this fucking swelling queen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a pussy now, though. <laughs> well, I wouldn't say that. Anyway, number four, standing up to Johnny Boy Gomes and all his bullshit. Yeah, well, that was just a ba- that was a wrong place at the wrong time moment, which I'm sure we've all had. But also mm. being in a situation where. I knew the guy, so it wasn't like I was just flapping off and mouthing off to someone that I'd never met and just jumped in the middle of chaos just to, you know, that was like one of those situations where someone jumps in to stop someone from getting hurt. Yeah, and what exactly they, went they down? Up, what? They ended up getting clubbed. Look, it was it was a crowded day, Aikai Beach Park. It was a north swell. It was pumping. It was just these long right handers peeling down. It was a um, photographer's dream, and it was a surfer's dream because mm. you could get great photos. Everyone was out there on tour. Everyone, and then you know all the Hawaiians and just the free surfers and blah blah blah. Anyway, so Bud Lamas drop go didn't drops in on a wave. Does a couple of Rios. Johnny Boy looks on the inside. See, it's a Howley Californian dude. Just goes. Burns him so bad, like mm. just literally comes down those situations. They come down on top of the head. Bud Lamas does a stall kind of a thing, and then does a bottom turn and gets around in front of him as Johnny Johnny Boy is coming down on top of his head. He gets out in front, and then Johnny Boy decides to jump off the back of his board and then just ping it at his head like a like a weapon. The thing came up and went underneath his chin, and I witnessed it because it was right next to him. And Bud just sort of turned his head. And it went up and it didn't connect with his head and then they just got tangled up. So then the wave came, they got tangled up. As they come to the surface and they're right next to me, um, uh, Johnny Boy grabs Bud and is about to punch him in the head. He's got the fist. And then I just screamed out to Johnny Boy. I knew the guy. I'd been living in Hawaii for a month and been going there every year. And da, 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 da. He used to come to the house where I was. We were on good, you know, how you going? Mm. Da, 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 da. And I screamed out, Johnny boy, oi, oi, Johnny boy, don't do it. Let him go. What are you doing? It was literally that. And then he just dropped Bud like a hot potato, turned at me, and I just saw his eyes roll back in the back of his head, and I just thought, oh, shit. Wow. And he just got back on his board, and he just paddled towards me, those big, broad shoulders. Mm. And, oh, my God, I shat my pants. And um, I just thought, oh, God, okay, here we go. I'm, I'm going to, yeah, I could just see it. And I just sat on my board thinking I've got to stay composed and mm. just – and he just paddled straight over to me, sat up on his board and then just said, you know, you fucking, you know, F-U-C-K-X-Y-D. Yeah. <laughs> you know, names I hadn't heard of before. You fucking howly white bitch. Who do you think you are? You spook to me like a man. And that, speaking to him like a man, I spoke to him like a human. Mm. You know, yeah. don't fucking hit someone, dude. Chill yeah. out, you know. That's what it was. So he sat up on his board and with a cupped hand just whacked me across the head, across my ear, like the full bitch that, you mm. know, like the full. <laughs> they hurt. They hurt, dude, though. Yeah, they you hurt. know what I mean? <laughs> and it was across my ear and it was like that big bang and that whole. And then he just, you know, went to humiliate me like, get out of the water, you don't deserve to be out, you know, blah, 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 blah. And everyone was looking and my partner at the time was on the beach sunbaking and she heard, 
Ooh. The whole crowd. And then mm. about 10 seconds later, she heard, Ooh. And the first wall was when Bud had collided. And the second wall was when he hit me. Wow. So the whole beach had seen her. So I just sort of sat on my board and took it. And then I just, and I literally said to him, I said, he goes, do you want another one? Have you got anything else to say? And I said, I just said, whatever, Johnny boy, whatever. Mm. That's literally what I just said, whatever. Do what you want, whatever. And just sat there going, oh, fuck, just keep it together, just keep it together. And he goes, get in now. So then he paddled off and I thought, there's no way I'm paddling in now. Wow. Like I just oh. had to catch a wave and I had to stay out for my own Self-pride? You are a fucking oath. You are a oh, staunch, staunch woman. Oh, but I had to. He was, and I watched all the surfers. Not one of them said anything came to my defence or go, are you fucking all right? Fucking dogs, cowards, mate. Yeah. Whatever. They, everyone's got their own stuff. You know, it's fine. So I waited out there and I was shattered. I'll admit it. I was like, little wobble, wobble lip. <laughs> you know, little blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, no, keep it together. And I did. I waited. And it's so hard to get a wave anyway. Mm. You know, it's just like, fuck, throw me a clothes out. I'll just go in on that. So I waited and I actually caught a couple of waves. And then I came in and then I sat down on the towel. And then the local lifeguard, I think it was Derek. Derek Donor, mm-hmm. like he came over to me. I think it was him. It was one of the top lifeguards at the time came over and he'd seen what had happened through the binos and he just – he was really lovely. He just goes, I saw what happened. Are you okay? And um, that was my first port of call was someone being nice and nurturing. It's a wild yarn. Wow. Yeah, Ooh. that's, that's I mean, pretty it, much what happened. It was simple as that. You know, it was just wrong place, wrong time. And then it, but it dragged on, right? Oh, it, it went on for two went on, years. Yeah. He, oh, it just went on and on and on and on and on and on and on, as things like that do, you know. And, you know, the media want a bit of it and then the media made up what they thought and then sometimes things, oh, whatever. And then Johnny Boy probably had post-stress syndrome mm. from the fact he didn't apologise and, you know what I mean, and he, yeah. he had his own demons. And then he bottled those demons up into another kettle of fish that I had to put up with for another two years where he blamed me for everything. Until one day I just had enough of it and we came face to face again and I had to deal with that that situation again. Either I was going to have my head ripped off and, you know, thrown away or I'm just going to confront it and deal with it, which I did. And then all of a sudden he was shaka bra, yay sister, and was giving me bear hugs and it, it was just crazy. Crazy. Mental. Classic Mental. Life. Stands up yeah. to JBG. Twice and serves it up. <laughs> I had to, mate. I had to. It was like I could Fuck not mate, put up with that, would have been that anymore. Far between my legs, it would have been up my nose. <laughs> I, was, I can't. Yeah, like very the, sorry. No, like the like, just like going into violence after. Like the biggest shaming you can ever have in surfing is dropping in on someone and then getting lapped by them. Mm. Yeah, and like, exactly. So like that's when I'd be. If I was Johnny, I'd be going in with my tail between my legs exactly. going, oh, my God, I'm it's so sorry true. shit at surfing. I mean, mind you, he was, he was, he was such an amazing surfer. And he is what amazing a, surfer. What, what an incredible talent that guy was. Mm. And, and uh, you know, what a shame. Yeah. Oh, I hope he's in a good place. Yeah, duck egg over here. Mm. Mm. Uh, well, we'll try and speed through. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to keep here forever, Jody. You've been so generous with your time. Nah, <laughs> no, dude. It's great. This people, is great. People so be picking fun. their fucking shins off I'm the with ground after that one. Mm. Uh, but yeah, all right. So you've gone from standing up to probably the most feared man in the history of surfing, Johnny. But I don't know if anyone 
carried as much. They're, they're, they've been around. guys who have, but that that reputation yeah. that he had was globally menacing. Yeah. I mean, everyone knew, man. Everyone knew that that dude was basically the enforcer, and it was scary. Even as a grom at a beach, when you knew you never go to Hawaii, you know, or you think you might not go there or get there or whatever, you're still scared of him. Do you know the funny thing was? I think he blamed me for all his badness and the media coverage he got up until that day mm-hmm. on me because he got so much coverage that he didn't – and this is what came down in that last thing and I dissected the whole thing. I had to like literally pull it apart for him and rebuild the configuration of why we are where we are today. We had to have that story. And one of it was is like Johnny Boy – because he blamed me for all his bad press basically. Basically from that day on I was the reason why – Anything bad was said about Johnny Boy. And I had to literally say to him, Johnny Boy, for fuck's sakes, like you go around bashing people, mate. You rip mm. their fins out and then, you know, threaten yeah. them with their own yeah. blast in fin. <laughs> oh, wow. Are you going to cut well, their throat? Is always. You know, like how yeah. could a little me cause all this chaos, dude? Own your own shit once mm. again, you know. It was that conversation. Yeah. So yeah, Blaming others is, is, a, is a screaming. So I think. Like, it is, but I think that's why he was famous because he was famous around the world yeah. because he pulled so many of those acts. Yeah, Ooh. and also, I mean, this is a guy who we can't forget was, I think, orphaned by the age of 14. Uh, you know, grew up in the pretty, you know, heavily deprived community over there on the west side of Oahu, um, carried a lot of trauma around with him. Yeah, for, had, had a for fucking sure. gnarly life. life. And that's not excusing what he. Did uh, all the acts of violence, but it's just—it's it, always the story, you know, yeah. with these kinds of characters that they've—they've they've experienced shit at a young age that they just shouldn't have, and they—it uh, ends up kind of coming half circle and then full circle, mm-hmm. and they often end up, you know, uh, trying to pull off acts of redemption and, and be really good human beings. Johnny Boy Gomes, Mike Tyson, like there's a, a lot of the kind of characters in this. Yeah. This bucket, but uh, so just keep it in mind. There, there is one other silver lining. I, I wrote a poem about Johnny Boy being a scary enforcer into a competition in tracks in in the early nineties, and, and won a copy of Hawaii Nine One. So it's not all bad. It's not all bad. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> but uh, you, you went and classic. You went. Uh, so your career trajectory has been like this so far. You know, Albany. Uh, you're one of the you know most courageous surf, female surfers ever to. Take to the water in Hawaii. You're the first out and proud gay surfer. Uh, 13 tour wins, a, a world title runner-up, and then on a sunny day at three foot Lennox head. I was probably more four to five. Four to five. <laughs> Some of the most fun foot. and playful waves on the planet. A pure, uh, purely joyful experience. And, and what went down there, Jody? Well, it was a pretty full-on day, really. It was, you know, crowded day, Lennox pumping, absolutely pumping. Everyone was there. Not everyone, but you know what I mean. Like, you know, about 100 people for sure. It was, uh, you know, I feel sorry for the Lennox crew. I mean, like anywhere, anyone that comes from a place that's perfect when that particular... Oh, it's, it, it is a hard a, life you know, growing up uh, in a house <laughs> on uh, the world's best point break. I feel yeah. sorry for him too. <laughs> but, you know, a anyway, look, it was it was a day of, you know, whatever you could get, you got. You know, it was a lot of people like, you know, you probably had 10 closeouts and you were, you were stoked. You know, you got a bloody closeout. It was like, woohoo, my feet got to my board, yippee. You know, it was, um, it was one of those days, but there were some great waves out there. So a lot of people were frothing. And uh, look, 
long story short, just I took off on a wave. I, it was a good wave. Uh, I'd done a couple of turns and the next minute this, I never met the guy in my life. Then um, he just dropped in on me with his air mat. Just did the same thing, you know, they don't just drop in and flap around out front, you know, and left me to do whatever I wanted to do, you know, Rio. So I was just doing a couple of Rios and that as I was coming down, he was just right underneath my feet because he just, he was just cutting back into me and you could just tell he wanted to make a point. It was it was beyond just dropping in on me. It was like, hey, I'm on my, you know, I'm on my mat and I'm going yeah, to pester you. In the, and it, Great impression. It was just like, <laughs> quote, you know. <laughs> Yeah, and and I just thought, oh god, this is such a good wave, and I just wanted to belt the lip and surf as best I could on a wave, and this thing's underneath my feet, <laughs> and then I'm so I a couple of look a couple of rios, I thought, oh, I'll do a real big one and come right out on top of him, and that'll shoo him away, mm. you know, it would me. So I did one, and I came down, I nearly landed on top of him, really, and I kind of like, kind of, I kind of thought, oh shit, you know. And then that kind of made me think, oh, I don't want to hurt anyone. This is stupid. Mm. Uh, you know, over a wave, you know. So we both rode it and he kept cutting back in with me and going, brrr, had his two little hands hanging on his handlebars, you know, little legs. And I just saw these little legs flapping. <laughs> that was the funny thing. I, By the time we got to the end, I was laughing. Mm. I was actually laughing because little barrel belly on this thing <laughs> and these little flippers flopping. It, it looked like a, I don't know, I'm not trying to pay yeah, him out. Yeah, wind up duck. It, That's it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It was. Like a potato with toothpicks stuck into it. <laughs> it, it in my head, in my head, I was seeing the funny side to it, okay? I really was. I wasn't angry. Mm-hmm. I wasn't, I was just funny. I thought it was hilarious. So as we got to the end, I sort of ca- got caught in his track and then I, I was going. I knew I was going to fall off, kind of thing. It was right at the end of the wave, anyway. And I, I jumped off like a big flat pancake, you know, like in a real submissive pancake out front of to, you know, just not not a dive. And as I jumped off front, I landed on the back of his legs. Well, I, I remember feeling flippers. You mm. know what I mean? That's like I can remember just landing on something like his flippers. But it happened so fast. And I was still going, I, I, I'm not jumping on the back. What was I going to do to the guy? Mm. You know what I mean? So I could just feel as I landed and I felt flippers and I've, I've connected with him, he swung around like it was like snap. Like you just, like a, like I've said this before, like a tuna strike. You need to throw your line in and bang, you get a hit. That's what it felt like. And he just grabbed me and then did the death roll on me and rolled me over and he he manoeuvred his air mattress underneath him so it could keep him up, and he just pushed me to the bottom to hold me down. And I thought, okay, all right, you know he's got the shits, whatever. Da 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 da. I thought, fine. So I went to jump up off from the bottom, and then he just pushed me back down again. And I thought, oh, here we go. And and as he was doing it, he was pulling yanks on my hair. He wasn't just holding me under. He was like yank, yank, yank on my scalp. Like really giving it a good old – so the third time I came to come up, he did it again. And I'm, I'm, my arms were just grabbing at anything to get up as this survival. This mm. is what you do. I'm trying to grab a, a leg. I'm just trying to grab anything or, or, or swim to the top. And on the third go, he pushes me back down again. No, on the third time up, I thought I've only got one more go. If he pushes me one more time down – I'm going to be in, in a world of pain. I knew my lungs, you know, I thought, oh, what a horrible feeling that, that, that'll be. So I, I just thought, fuck, I've got to think. So I just thought, 
play dead or play like I'm I've blacked out. That's what I thought. Or, you know, I just totally went limp and just flat like a pancake again. And then as soon as I sort of did that, he sort of let me go and then just pushed me out kind of thing. And then I came to and, like, you know, people have seen the footage. Like, I, I come to the surface and you just – I come up like a cork, you know, like, boom, straight up my body comes out and you just see my mouth and my – just go <gasps> – like, I just take the biggest breath of air and then – You shorten him up with a couple, a couple of straight jabs. Well, that's the, that's the funny thing, thing was because in court he said that I threw a punch at him, which is hilarious because here we are all watching the footage <laughs> and he's still saying I threw a punch. Yeah. But what I did do was I came up and I just slapped the water. You know when you come up and you just splash it? Like you go, yeah. you go, fuck you, dude. Why would you do that for? That was literally what it was. Mm. And I was in so much shock that he, who does that Like what, and why? So what I was saying to him was, what I was saying to him, why did you do that? What gave you the right? And I was pointing to the wave. I said, at what stage of the wave did you think or what did I do that made you think you could do that to mm. me. And you could see my hands going like this as, as we sat up on the board and we paddled back out of the danger zone. And he tried to say that, you know, I was threatening his life and that I threatened his family and I was going to do all these oh things. God. I was just pleading for what the fuck happened just mm. then. Anyway, that's pretty much what happened. Fuck, that's a wild story, man. You've had a wild life, Jody. The way that you set up that question, like listing all those achievements and, and um, you know, this amazing life that you've had, and all the fucking battles that you've had to fight, you know, just to be you, just to just to go surfing and, and enjoy your career and, and and do the best that you possibly can. It fucking boggles my mind that this can happen, like, in the last year. Mm. Do you know what I mean? At mm. the end of it all? Yeah. Like, it sounds like a story that but, maybe might have happened at the very start when fucking everything was so it's, backwards. It happens to people. But, it, he's, he's done it. But, I don't know if we can do yeah, it. Yeah, but about it's it. not well, he's got a prior, oh, yeah. prior conviction, <laughs> he's 1998. Got prior, uh, Mark Thompson convicted for assault uh, in yeah, a, a surf rage incident but in reckon, and avoided jail time uh, for this. And can you talk to us about the court process? Because I know that wasn't fun. Ah, uh, look, it's not fun. It's not fun at all. It, it, you know, it's it's a horrible thing that gets drawn out over a long period of time. I didn't want the attention. I don't. You know, I, I just wanted to, like I said, I just wanted to sort of disappear and just mm. f- try and deal with it. And and um, you know, you know, I didn't need the attention. I didn't want to be the camera with, dealing with all the cameras and all the media. Hated that. But then I just realised I had an obligation to the other people that this person had done this to. That you just can't do that. You just cannot go around life doing that to people and thinking that's a okay. Fucking oath. You know like what I mean? Knows. So it was just, a, once again, a moral But does, does any part of you just go, why the fuck am I still fighting? Like, this is... I this did. Is, and, and I don't mean fighting yeah. like no, no, fighting. No. I mean no, no, like, no, no, why am mean. I still having um, to be the person well, out of all these fucking people all over the world who are and, surfing and to be... And, you know, be... a lot of people ask that question, yeah. like, oh, you what do you have to go to court for? And I don't know people say that. Like, oh, I don't mean know, that. We, I mean, like, aren't you exhausted by having to always fly the flag for fucking, you know, well, for the downtrodden and the people who shouldn't I, be... I also don't want to be left as an image that people just think I'm this person that runs around looking for things to happen so I can have this happen to me. No one thinks that. It's the opposite. It's it's a lot of people you know? will put up with this shit, and then there's 
the fucking one person in every thousand that doesn't, and they are the fucking Martin Luther Kings, they are the Malcolm Xs, they are the Mahatma oh. Gandhis, they are the Mother Teresas, well, think and they're the fucking Jody fucking. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think there's, Shit, yeah. I think there's a lot of, Shit, uh, yeah. lot, lot, a lot of gap but, between but, that. But I get your point. But you know, I just, I felt for so many people also that are being affected by this person, and it's, and they were hurting, and I was hurting too. It, it really. It was horrible. And this guy was after the effect. If he had a call me up, maybe said, hey, I really fucked up. I'm really sorry, you know, or whatever. But he was paling out, guiding about it and saying that I was a man hater. And he was laughing about it in the lineup. That just pissed me off. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it was this, just like, this is my question. That's just uncool. After You'd- all of that, like the individual aside, even, is this not. Sort of like something that you have to encounter to this day. I'm curious to know: is it still something that exists in every single lineup where there's a, you know, a wave of the quality of Lennox, where there's a pecking order, where and they're in that pecking order, there's genuinely one or two guys who take it upon themselves to oh, enforce that lineup. I, Are you still I, dealing with that every time I you think paddle out? Everyone is everything. That's not a gender just, thing. I think. Oh, I think just, you know. Every little town might have one. Full know? disclosure, I was that fuckwit <laughs> when I was a kid. And, uh, but, uh, you know, obviously drew the line very firmly, like never even raised my voice to a chick in the surf unless they fucking nearly killed me. But, um, you know, again, I'm still, it's like, it's you don't, don't put your hands on women, man. That's the way I was raised. Well, anyway. you yeah. don't, but you also, it's, I just want this to be not a gender thing. It's like, yeah. you know, it was just... He's a, you know, no, everyone suffers. Even, that guy, even like this character, oh, they prey seen. on the weak, they prey on the the ones that are more defenseless, yeah. and they act that way because they have the power and control to do that. Do you know what I mean? And that's what's wrong about this situation. Yeah. That's what's that's what's bad. No, I don't think it's a gender thing either. The, my my problem with it is that uh, <laughs> these things are happening all the time. You know, at, at every beach, and who has the guts to stand up and actually say something about it? No one, usually. I mean, it's sort of getting to a point now where we're starting to see, you know, the police turn up if the wolf yeah. pack dish out of hiding on the, you know, like the, yeah. the days are gone where violence is sort of forgiven. But yeah. I just, I find it, how do you like, do you, I asked the question before, but I'm curious mm. to ask again, like, is surfing in a better place now? Is it more tolerant? Are we getting better or is it just oh, the that's... same old shit at every old beach like since you first came over east? Things have changed for sure. Mm. Like you can't get away with what you used to get away with. I mean that we all, everything's changed. For, you, know, you can't pull a kid's pants down and gaffer take, him, gaffer take him to a stop sign anymore. You know what I mean? Mm. You know, you can't, you can't have grommet abuse like he used. I mean, you know what I'm trying to say. Australia's Things have suffering changed. Heavily because There's of a lot of PC yeah. stuff, you know what I mean? Mm. But – um. You know, and, and things have changed in the lineup. As in, you just can't do that. You can't waltz up to someone and king hit them. You know, and and, and there's a good reason for that. Mm. You know, um, that has changed. You know, I think that the violence in the water is is changed like that. But there's so much frustration because there are so many in certain places because, you know, you you surf the pass. You're taking your life in your hands. You, and then mm. there are a bunch of Bikini lad surf chicks and guys out doing freaking nose rides, mm. and it's still like you're going to die. And you know if, what I mean? If, the, if there is a surf etiquette abomination, sorry to cut you off. Oh, I mean, yeah. the old fashioned way 
to deal with that is, you know, you can ask someone if they want to go to the beach. And if they want to fight, then you can do that on sand. And, you know, usually yeah, sure. almost no one can get hurt. And I'm not saying that's a good way of dealing with it, but it's a way of dealing with it. And there's a very huge, uh, you know, to, it's a, uh, what's the word? A consensual fight, you know. Yeah. Both parties are agreeing. But this, that this kind of staunching people and beating the fuck out of people who don't want to bar of it. It's just bullyism. It's disgraceful, mm. man. It's just dismal. It's just Fuck, bullyism just... and, um, you know, it's just people that think, you know, they can do that and get away with it and that's just the way they communicate is by, you know, ooga booga, grab you by the hair mm. and dragging the cave and, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, good but on yeah. The, the, the thing is, back to what you were saying, is, um, you know, the sport of surfing is so popular now. It is getting, you know, like you said, you go to the past, everyone's got peace and love and hippie man, but it's freaking so crowded. Mm. You know, there's people, you know, dropping in on everyone and everyone's frustrated because you can't get a wave. And same with Lennox and same with Snapper and same with all these places. And I see it even where I live, northern New South Wales now, you know, a bit north of um, the pass and stuff. Everywhere's getting so crowded. All you want to do, mate, is go for a surf and have a yak and get a wave and have some hoots. Mm. But when it gets harder and harder and yeah. harder to get a wave and there's a camera sitting on the end of the break wall showing everyone that it's pumping that day and the, everyone rocks up and... You know, it's just it's just getting to the point that yeah. everyone's getting so frustrated, like yeah. like road rage. Yeah, I feel way, like, you know? like it, and and it's sort of the dynamics changed a little bit because like ripping isn't as important as it used to be. You know, like ripping yeah. was the was the the gold pass to it whatever way you wanted. To do whatever you wanted. <laughs> the, the 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 crowd, regardless of what level they're at, all want their waves now. Like yeah. no one doesn't feel like they shouldn't be entitled to get a few, and that adds a whole nother dimension level of yeah difficulty in, in sort of separating the pack a bit i suppose but yeah i don't know I'm, I'm it's good to see you know i mean there's got to be a wider acceptance of of every single person in the lineup just simply because there are so many people and no one as you said right at the start jody like there's there's no defining what a surfer is just on the fact that you know in the 80s you could almost just pick people walking down the street yeah like that's that's gone and so there has to be a wider acceptance on the back of that, right? Regardless of where you come from or, or what you're into or whatever your walk yeah. of life is. I like, think it's a big learning curve for, for all of us, really. Yeah. So it's had to grow up a bit, right? You know, we're all learning how to deal with it or how to go around it mm. or, you know. So, yeah, big mm. learning curve for us all. Keep your peace. Keep your gratitude. <laughs> Consider that you could be some poor cunt dressed in rags in a gutter in Calcutta. You know, like you've got it pretty fucking good if you can go surfing. Three out of five days a week. It's probably worth keeping in mind. Seven days in a week. <laughs> <laughs> All right, number two. We rip, we'll rip through these, but being yep. a, you've been a staunch advocate for equality, women, the underdog, the battler, and you've never lost your calm, your peace, yes, or I your have. manners. <laughs> yes, I have. <laughs> You're an inspiration, Jodie Cooper. What's your secret, mate? Oh, that is hilarious. What a question. Oh, what is my secret? Is um, just be happy. Just be a happy camper. Just see the positive in life, you know. Like life's freaking awesome, you know. Just yeah, that's it. Life is just epic, and you know whether or not you're just surfing a closeout wave. It's how lucky are you, you know? Just it's just having that perspective, I suppose. Not being too serious about everything, and um, yeah, just um, yeah, that's it, I suppose. Be happy. All right, and finally, number one, the greatest achievement in Jody Cooper's life. 
Making it on to Ain't That Swell. How does it feel to be here, Jody? <laughs> Will this moment ever be surpassed? I thought you were going to say, like, being a stunt double in point break. Oh, I was going to say, fucking surely Bodie had something. Is yeah, he yeah, alive? Yeah. Is he alive? Do we know where he is? Give us the scoop. Oh, what was he- that like? Heaven above. You want the ultimate, you got to be willing to pay the ultimate price. It's not tragic to die doing what you love. Point Break, by the way, I was talking about it the other day. Just what an iconic, incredible period piece it was. They fucking it's still coming nailed on TV. surfing in the 90s. Incredible. So good. That's, that, that, that thing has made so much money. Oh, it's yeah. just unbelievable. It just, it's on the loop. It's on the it's on the world circuit on it's TV. It's directed by Catherine Bigelow. Isn't yeah, it? yeah, 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 yeah. So crazy. she like went on to like crazy. Win an success. Academy Award. Yeah. yeah. Is that yeah. The, the Hurt Locker? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Sarah yeah. Dark Thirty. Yeah. 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 Mantle. yeah. She's a real. She fucking killed it. Incredible film. And she yeah, did. What was your role in that? You the stunt double? I did the stunt doubling for Laurie Petty. So I worked on it for about a month and a half, which was epic. It was yeah, that was probably one of the highlights of my life too because it was great because it was like something outside of the surf world, you know, and hanging with that that sort of scene. It was it was really cool. And they were all really great. They were all um fun. And we're in Hawaii. I got to go to the ranch in California, which was another uh goal. So just from doing that film, I got to go surf Perfect Ranch. Mm. You know, you got to be invited to go to that place, Northern California. They just so. opened it up, uh, apparently. Yeah. What's the go? What kind of waves are we talking about there? Little slabs and uh, right beach. hand, right hand point break. Right. Yeah. Wow. Like one of those clay sandy bottom right hand point breaks. Like yeah, mm. really cool. Did you get any like party time with uh, Pat and yeah, Keanu yeah, and yeah, uh, for sure. Gary, yeah. You see we're, the we're animal. All, we all did hang Leroy out a masochist. bit. And stuff, um, you know, had beers and went out to dinner and stuff like that. And yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. It was a real big eye opener. And but that he he him, and I met him a couple of times actually. He came out to Australia, and uh, he was on the Ray Martin show. They got me and him on the Ray Martin show about the I don't know what whatever the angle <laughs> the they came gap. in on that story, but they they were, <laughs> yeah. old Lego head Martin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and that, that, they, they they got some sort of angle to get the both of us on. That's on so about. Good. It was really weird, but it was fun because, you know, we were like high five and like, oh, g'day, and, you know, talking about each other's little things that we did on the film and blah, blah, blah. But he actually was a really cool guy. Mm. He was the real deal, really nice guy. I think he liked Barty too, but um, uh, super, super chill, really, you know, not egotistical, really humble. Yeah, it was re- really lovely meeting him and the other crew. So, yep, that was that was really cool. Plus, that was the first time I'd been on a film set and I got to see what they ate for lunch. You know, they, they have like, you know, what would you like, madam, swordfish or a sirloin steak? <laughs> you know, you're like, what? Yeah. You got any Albany tuna on that menu? <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> bit better than the, uh, <laughs> what was it, the food table at the Marui Pro in Japan <laughs> yeah, when exactly, it's the bowl just a whole bunch flakes. of sea urchins that have been ripped out of the ocean and dumped on a table. <laughs> Help <laughs> yourselves. Like, remember, remember, the Groundhog <laughs> day, remember the Groundhog Day at Bell's? And it'd be like oh, the vegan yeah. eighth day and there'd be like that white bread with the margarine and everyone had put the Vegemite knife back in it and it was oh. all full of Vegemite. <laughs> the ultimate crime. Peanut butter Scummy, uh, and like you'd be trying to get, you know, negotiate your way around it. Yes. Steer clear Bells. of the hepatitis and tuberculosis in that. Yeah. yeah. Petri dish of degenerate core lord. Yeah, well, the, the other funny thing about Bells back in those days was that public toilets used to overflow and run straight down <laughs> oh, into the combat, down the back of the uh, competitors' area. <laughs> it was unbelievable. <laughs> those were the days. Oh, good times. But, yeah, look, it's been epic. It has been a highlight of my uh, career to be here and to be with you boys. It's been fun. It's been a great ride. It's I'm been blushing. interesting. <laughs> it has been fun, Jody. Thank you. My pleasure. Now, uh, I guess we'll just take a few quick questions from our loyal listeners 
aka the Swellians. Go. Ask us a question, we'll tell you no lie. Ask us a question, we'll tell you no lie. Uh, all right, we've got a question here from uh, Casey Piesta. Uh, his question is, who wins the heat at Cooking Cloud Break, Andy Irons in his prime or Gabby in his prime? Oh, Andy, Andy for Irons. sure. Are you kidding? Yeah, I'm going Andy Andy's Irons. got flow. Like, one thing I'll say about Gabby, like, he's got all the moves, but, like, the flow between them, he's, like, got this weird, I don't know, maybe it's it's subjective, but, like, that weird Gumby stance, the cold, dead look in his eyes, <laughs> like, mouth open, like, like saliva dripping out of it, kind of <laughs> lobotomized <laughs> face. Andy's got this, like, fierce, like, like kind of just, like, the way he links turns, especially on his backside, he'd smoke him. He'd have him in combo. And Gabe would just be fucking having a cry to the judges, climbing up the, like, the judge tower. <laughs> so like, I measured up the side of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, backside hangers at fucking 10-foot cloud breaks. Pretty hard to beat. Uh Fuck, I watched that clip. Oh, I've got it. one other. Uh, there's the backside hanger which is like totally attacking the lip. And then there's also the carve. There's two things with Gabby. Like he's quite flat. Like even if he's hitting uh, – at uh, J-Bay was the first time backhand I'd seen him really like rail his way through big turns, which was absolutely phenomenal. I think I said on the show at the time, like best backhand surfer maybe that we'd seen since Andy at J-Bay in that huge surf. But Andy like is a way better user of the rail. Like a lot of Gabby's turns are flat. And I don't mean that as a – it's not even a criticism really Like because he uses that flatness to get out of one turn and into the next turn and it's quite hoppy and light and he, he almost skims across the surface of a wave like a, a bar of soap or something. Like that's kind of how his board behaves, you know what I mean? And like Andy's just way more everything sort of getting blasted or, or cleaved. Mm, mm. And I just think that at a wave like Cloud Break is going to be way more fun to watch, mm, mm. and especially in heat. Massive style points to Andy, but Gabby yeah. does turn it into a fucking video game at Cloud Break. He's just—he's mm. like, yeah, I feel like I've got a character in a Kelly Slater Pro Surfing, and I'm just dialing in cheat codes, making section <laughs> after section. Mm. Yeah, into the Nokia, like in the in the like options menu, get like Travis Pastrana out there. That was pretty iconic. But yeah, um, nah. Andy for sure. Andy for sure. Especially like, I don't know. And like, I feel like he's kind of one of the only few people with enough cunt in him that he could like out paddle Gabby and get in his head. Could you imagine? That's a good Actually, point. can you That's imagine really those point. two That's, in a yeah. heat looking oh. at each other? Yeah, no. Nah. Up each wow. other's rashy, just fucking feeding it to each other. It'd be Ooh. mental, actually. Yeah. That's a. Uh... It's a wild vision, isn't it? Mm. An AI, Gabriel Medina. Good battle question. Cane piece, straight, straight out to uh, Piesta. Uh, this one comes in from Eric Van Molson, a uh, native of St. Augustine, Florida. And his question is, what is the best thing to yell at someone who's about to drop in on you? I'll direct this to you, Jody. <laughs> Whatever you do, it doesn't work. If they want to go, they'll go. Mm. Good advice. I had someone yell, you're a grub at me <laughs> once when I dropped in on that, them, which is pretty funny. Did but it stop you? No, obviously it didn't. No, yeah. no. <laughs> like, I kind of laughed yeah. and like the wave kind of fizzled out. 
the one I like doing post is like if anyone blows up at you, you go, "Are you crying?" If you if you say, "Are you crying to someone in the surf?" Like, I'm not crying. <laughs> <laughs> and they like get so like Angry. revved up. They're like, oh, I'm so sorry I embarrassed you just then. I'm so sorry about that. Like I won't drop it on you again. I'm so sorry to make you cry. They're like, I'm not crying. <laughs> and they just get so revved up. It's so satisfying. I, I reckon all of us like in a circle should do your uh, your little your call out. Okay. You know what I mean? Because you know like when you're paddling for a wave and someone's like hasn't spotted you or you're giving them the benefit of the doubt and you're not like going, oi! You're not doing those <laughs> ones yet. But you're just doing that little, yep, 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 yep. <laughs> That's my yeah, one. Yeah, that's mine. What, is that yours? Got it, 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 got it. Yep, 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 yep. That's always, me. Yep, 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 yep. I always do the one where I go to whistle, but I just go. <laughs> <laughs> and they just go. Because <laughs> your lips are all wet and, like, it's just not working. And yeah, like, I'm, I've always been confused about the, the infamous or famous MP whistle from deep in the tube. But Kira, how is he getting the, the kind of moisture consistency? No, some guys tuck the tongue in and go yeah. a hard lip for, like, a little, yeah. uh, like a little baboon asshole and it's just like right. it just gets that crispy whip on the end of it oh it's good to know i've been fascinated uh what, yeah. what's your one smithy when you're paddling and someone's sort of like not paying enough attention you know you're gonna have to call it yeah it's a it's a short sharp hey oh <laughs> no <laughs> that's a that's so much more masculine than it's ours. yeah it's never your voice though that comes out of you no. it's like some other character's voice like, <laughs> totally yeah, I just try to make it as intimidating as it could possibly sound in the uh, Bondi Rip Bowl. <laughs> yip, 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 yip. Yeah, I've, I've, I've used that one. Yeah. Yip, yip. <laughs> <laughs> we have a question here from Luke Gerson. Uh, and his question is Is Rob Machado starring in The Big Lebowski 2? And he has a comparison here. Hey. Uh, Rob, showing shades of Ladud. Uh, how probably, did he go? I reckon he's he got some right. similarities, yeah, for yeah. sure. He definitely stunt mellow. double it. Yeah. Pretty mellow character. Yeah. But here's the thing with Rob. I reckon there's two personas to him. Because mm. you you were on tour with Rob mm. like when you were – Yeah. Yep, you guys had yeah, a little crossover era. period. Yep, yep. And he had – you'd remember for sure Surfcore, like remember there's that clip uh, in the early before the skits when it was just sort of like real life – little moments that Taylor Steele would run before the surf sections and someone like pushes Rob Machado over in a game of soccer or something and he runs on the field and just quickly clips the dude's yeah, back head. Oh, yeah, he just legs absolutely yeah. little, uh, <laughs> slams on the Eric cement. Eric Cantona-style mini fly kick to I'm the back of the leg. You, man, Nasty there's, business. there's actually a little side to him that is – a little more raw and a little Ooh, more. Yeah, there's a bit of me out there. Yeah, yeah, every now and then something pops up that really surprises me about him. Like I was watching, like fuck, it would have been like a year ago or something. But like on like one of the Hazard boys, like the Hazard twins Instagram, him just doing shoeies with them. Yeah, and I was like, that's Rob Machado. That's the guy from the Drifter. That's like <laughs> the like l- like fucking bamboo flute, like <laughs> like like guru of solitude and soul, mm, doing mm. a shoey at like some gnarly like. Rock food esque bar, like. well, <laughs> and there was also like when he didn't get the injury wild card. Do you remember that? There was uh, towards that was a the nasty end of his career, saga. And, oh, yeah, and, he got yeah. fucking so rinsed by his own his own tribe. On and that the one. whole yeah, the whole system then though was you had to go into a meeting with the forty four and actually plead your case in front of your peers. I mean, it's just so absurd to think that That's like everything got, got everything wrong about it. Oh it? yeah, I mean, there was a classic year where Davo had to go in and and uh, Chris Davidson, you know, the the North yep. Narrabeen. <laughs> Firebrand. Where do you even be the firebrand? And he had to go in and plead his case. And uh, I had a 
a spy inside the meeting and, you know, everyone's there. Um, I think there was Shane Beshin was there like crying going, you know, this is my life. I've, I've done this, you know, and like this is uh, allegedly by the way. And, um, you know, a few of the boys were there just really pouring their hearts out and Dave gets up and apparently says something along of, yeah, I've just had a cunt of a year. Me fucking chick dumped me and I fucking got a DUI. <laughs> I started dropping these sort of Please hard... your case, Davo. Well said. <laughs> hard luck stories, even though he had the biggest right to that wild card because he stepped on a bottle in the comp oh, area right. during, oh, the, yeah. during the event. Yeah. And they were just looking at him going, we're not giving you this injury wild card, bro. Like, so, so it, the legend goes, but... His um yeah his whole preparation and and the way he tried to pull on the heartstrings of his peers just didn't seem to fly as well as as he was hoping. <laughs> it's such a good yarn. That is incredible. But um yeah, I think one thing about Machado is like just how bitter he was when that didn't go his way. Yeah, he lost like, his sponsor because of that, right? Yeah, he, uh, and he, who was it? Was it Gotcha at the time? I think he got and asked he for books, and it just sent him into a crazy career down spiral. Yeah, and he, and and that's what and, led and he to was the runner drifter. up, right, in the world title race the year before, maybe or like you know top three. Not far off it. This guy's gunning for a, a world champ, a world world title mm. crown, and what was he broke his arm or something? I can't remember what and the was injury that weird, was. But... Shortened year, like the September 11 attacks. It was just a big matzo ball, and poor old Drifter got fucking. Yeah, you got rinsed on that one. Mm. But but just how much he held onto it and for how long kind of does show that there's a competitiveness mm. underneath everything mm. that's a little more, you know, a little more sort of real than you think. Mm. But then, you know, that was pre, pre-Drifter. pre mm. I think he uh, let go of a lot of that angst in a well in uh, East Zimbabwe somewhere. Mm. But a, uh, he, he shaves a good stick. He does, doesn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. I've, I've actually one of the best boards I've ever had has been one of his boards. So if you're listening out there, I'd love another one. Yeah, he's <laughs> no, it's uh, <laughs> yeah, really good. He's a good. At least you can do a drifter. Come on, man. <laughs> yeah. He won the pipe masters. That's that's all you need. That's yeah. as good as a world Beat title. Lally. Yeah, <laughs> he did. Eh? Yeah, can't wait to talk to Lowey about that. And yeah. uh, I mean, as for his film career, uh, you know, following his career progression. The drifter does kind of feed nicely into the Big surf's Lebowski up. too. Yeah. No, oh, I thought you were going to go surf's into Surfs Up and then the Big Lebowski. Well, there's too. some parallels there between the drifter and the dude, surely, isn't there? Yeah. I mean, yeah. one guy's uh, out there, kind of, you know, communing with nature, digging wells for uh, impoverished Indonesians, and the other is, uh, you know, I guess cruising and trying not to fuck anyone over. <laughs> well played, dude. Well played, drifter. Let me explain something to you. Um, I am not Mr. Lebowski. You're Mr. Lebowski. I'm the dude. So that's what you call me, you know? Uh, that or uh, his dudeness or uh, duder or, uh, you know, El Duderino, if you're not into the whole brevity thing. Question here from Bill Murray. I'm not sure if it's the Bill Murray, but I know the Bill Probably Murray is. does, sir. Probably uh, is. I'm a god. You're a god. I'm a god. I'm not the god. I don't think. And his question is, should Gabby have to change the bilge slash bong water for storming the judging booth in Portugal? So uh, should Gabby be uh, in there emptying the portalers for his uh, schwitz at the judges? There was another question uh, that was sort of worth tagging on the end of this one, which is like, should he be punished for creating a big scene? And like, should they can him from an event? Or, you know, like how every sport has their kind of mm. disciplinary committee that throws down the hammer and, uh, I mean, what do you guys reckon? I think it'd be a shame to sort of like put a dampener or a muzzle on anyone who's who's feeling hot and all that sort of stuff. But then to go out afterwards and intentionally try and like tear someone down, you know, we spoke about it earlier, but 
Should there be some sort of punishment for that? Well, not that long ago it happened to Philippe, right? Like he got, like he stormed the tower and gave them the what for and then he got nicked yeah. from cloud break luckily. And him. that ended up costing <laughs> him world title, right? No. Was that was, that year or the year He was going to get after? equal 33rd no matter what happened to <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, yeah, that's like, that's pretty gnarly. Um, I don't know. It'd be, yeah, I reckon he should have to like drink the bong water or something. <laughs> like, yeah, drink Suitable Nick Carroll's punishment. bong water or mm, something. Yeah. Mm. Online bullying. Say, so, uh, you're saying there should be a clause in the in the Wazzle yeah, or like athlete's contract. Not allowed to shave his nipples for a year or something. Whoa, or like, no, no, too much. Imagine the regrowth. He'd be like Kramer, be freaking out, itching, <laughs> carrying on. Yeah. Did you ever cop a fine? Did you ever get fined or suspended? Oh, well, that's like getting blood out of a stone. Mm. We had no money anyway. Oh, so yeah. What are we going to do? <laughs> Oh, yeah, well, what's the punishment? I'm just trying to think. No, I don't think I did. No, 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 mm. no fines. But, yeah, a lot of threats. I remember oh, Japan used to be bad for that, for mm. the girls. Because when you go to Japan, you used to get picked up at the airport and transported over to Chiba and you stayed in this little fishing village and and you were put in a little mama-son's house and, you know, you just stayed there for the 10 days waiting for a typhoon to come so you could have your heat. And then... I remember getting in trouble for uh, two of the girls got in trouble for hiring a moped and riding them to the riding it to the next village, and so every year the men, not so much the male surfers, but the whole I don't know the whole group used to try and come up with a reason for why they shouldn't have the women next year, and honestly, one year they used the excuse of. They were caught riding a moped in the next village. Oh my god! Wow. Who are these men? <laughs> Only I, I, I say that because it's like they were just like the girls were just supposed to rock up, you know, cop what the cop, ever surf they exactly, got thrown out in and go exactly, home happy. Exactly. No, and I suppose it was that era where. Japanese were really um, I don't know. It was really weird the line between what was. What the laws and what you're allowed to do and what you were allowed to do, you know mm. what I mean? You know how they're really anal with yeah. a lot of their their little things. So I, I suppose they just saw like two, I don't know, like I don't know. It's mm. weird. God, that is so but odd. That that's pretty odd. <sighs> Everything, <laughs> everything's a battle. <laughs> God, thank God they're getting. That's uh, not that bad today, Jody. Yeah. Mm, the equal pay, least they could do really after that history of traumatic. <laughs> Treatment of the women's tour. How is it? How is, isn't it amazing? Unbelievable. How, the money they're making, it's just mm. mind-blowing, isn't it? Oh, it's so good. It's just, yeah, it's freaking incredible. All right, well. Uh, that us? I reckon. Thanks for coming on, Jody. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Jody. It's been a treat. Surfcore, Hellman. Thank you. Mark. What an honour. See you all, all at the live shows. Next See time. you at Lennox. Yoo-hoo. All right. Bonus section, bonus section, bonus section. Oh, what an episode, mate. How are you coping? Oh, I'm coping. I'm coping. four hours deep. Everyone's going, when's this thing going to fucking end? Oh, mate, all I can say is I think I might be on the first flight to Thailand, mate. I think I'm getting the nip and tuck. I want to become a chick porno. How good are they? Too many swellets is never enough. <laughs> it's all power, all women. About fucking time. You and I have been dragging the chain something horrible on this fucking side of the fence, mate. What are we thinking? What are we doing? We've got to get rid of all these Let fucking- women lead. Look at the state of the world. Men have had their had their time and they, they blew f- it. They fucking cooked it. 
You fucking idiots. Take a good hard look at yourself, scammer, you fucking oh, rich man. white man. Fucking hopeless. Anyway, um, what's the bonus section? Uh, we're going to hear now from Talia Redguard. Just, uh, I mean, most, uh, maybe some swellings have heard of her, but mm. she's pretty underground. Uh, she was, you know, a, a QS competitor for a period, uh, and she's kind of, I guess, uh, might be better known as the the better half of Mick Campbell, mm. the uh, former no- world champ, well, title chasing uh, competitive Ginger Ninja from Port Macquarie. Oh, the ultimate blue collar core oh. lord, 98 title contender. Hit the lip like an absolute loony. Oh. Hit the lip like an absolute loony and hit fucking AI's lip like a, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's an, right. an old school classical pugilist. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, so basically we're going to hear from Talia recounting how she saved Mick's life uh, under just the most incredibly harrowing circumstances uh, at Iluka recently. And um, you can catch the, the full interview in uh, in the upcoming issue of mm. ASL um, and her full story. Well, there's a lot more to it, you know, like fucking just the, the craziest life that she's led and the craziest journey they've been on since this near-death experience. But just, mate, get the fucking Kleenex out, Swellians. <laughs> it's a heart-wrencher, mate. And if you want to see what Talia is capable of in the water, mate, get on there, just... Google her name and watch some serious corn rinse at huge no can doies. It is fucking dead set Paxville out there. Huge no can doies, huge toomies, air dropping into ten oh. footers at toomies, pulling up no just, hands, just getting spit right <laughs> out of it. It's a sick one to end the episode on, mate. I'm oh, so man. stoked. On your tally, on your tally, up the swellets. Yeah, we're just paddling out against the wall. Probably like solid six foot with bigger ones. It was real stormy and just it was shit. Like you wouldn't. You'd never have really surfed it. Yeah. But um, but it was really heavy. Like there was a couple of psycho barrels in amongst all the shit ones. Yeah. And I was like, let's just get out there and see if we can get one. And we went out. We surfed for a few hours out there and got a couple of the ones each. And, um, yeah. Mick just took off on his first wave of his set, and um, yeah, he just got um flipped in the barrel, I think. Mm. And um, yeah, the board just whacked him on each side of his. Temple and it, on his jaw. Both sides of his head. Both both sides of his head. What? Him out. It, it, instantly, yeah. Fuck. Wow. And, um, yeah, and I didn't know. But you know what? Like, you surf by Luca, you surf any wall, you get spat out the back pretty easy. Yeah. But with the rip, you know, you back out within a couple of minutes. Yeah. And I was like, something's not right here. I just knew. And I was like, I looked in, right in, you know how you get the bend in the wall? Yep. Like, on a wall, like, you know, and it, and it kind of just pools in there, all the whitewash that pushes back into the wall. Yeah, yep, yep. And I, 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 I looked in, and I was like, wow, oh, that's Nick's board. Like, it just kept, like, floating on the surface. It wasn't tombstoning or anything. Mm-hmm. And I was like, fuck. And I just knew, and my heart just sunk, eh? And I just paddled as fast as I could to it. And we're the only ones out. And when I got to him, yeah, he was just floating on the surface. Not, yeah, it was heavy. Oh. And just lose. Oh. Whoa. And, and um. Just how did you? How did like? Did you have to resuscitate him, or how did he come back? To how did he get good after that? Yeah. So like, he was fully lifeless. Hey, like, and like, I I think that he had already gone and filled up with water and just like floated back up to the top because it had been in like five. Or plus minutes before I noticed, you know. Fuck. 
And um, I just grabbed him and held him up and, and he was just so blue and grey and just like foaming from his mouth and his eyes open and just, you know. And Shit. I just was punching him in the chest and we were just getting smashed up the wall because it was like East Well. Yeah. Just getting smashed up the wall and I was trying to keep him up and he was going under and I was just punching him in the chest, just like going, no, my best mate's dying in my arms out here. Like, what am I going to do? And I couldn't because Rick was pushing us out and then it was just like keeping us in this one spot. And we couldn't go out through the rip because it was so big, you know, mm. and it was so rough and like, it would have been, it was impossible because it was east. It was just pushing across the wall. There was no entry or exit point out through the rip. Mm. But, um, yeah, and I was punching him on the chest and this how this young kid paddled out and um, I was screaming at him from down the beach, mate, like, come and help me, you know. I was just swearing my head off at mm. him, like, come fucking help me, you know, like right now I'm a mate dying in my arms and he was, he was paddling over to me but he was in shock and he was paddling over and he got to me and we were just, he was just staring at me and I was like, mate, this is my best friend, like can't let, can't let him die, just please help me, you know. Mm. And um, we just both held him up and I was punching his chest and just screaming in his ear for like five minutes or more out in the water. And um, and then this bubble coming up like an air bubble or something, and all the water started like flowing out. Whoa! Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah. Um, I like looked at the kid. He was not a kid. He was like nineteen. And um, I looked at him, and he looked at me, and he said, "Oh, like, like let's just get him in now, like." We'd already been, like, punching his chest for, like, 10 minutes out in the ocean, you know? And, wow. And because we were stuck in this rip, like, you know how hard it is to get in against the wall, paddle against the wall? Yeah, I've never that, surfed that it being nice, but, yeah, I can imagine. But, like, the, the wall, like, is just rushing out the rip constantly and the tide just started running out and you can't paddle against it, you go backwards. Right, yeah, 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 and, I get yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the swell was like pushing us into this hole, you know, and just holding us there and we couldn't get back over to the sandbar, like it was just horrible, it was so rough. And um, I got Vic on the board and got rid of one of our boards and just chucked it in, into the water, it's missing, it's gone. And just jumped on him and just kicked and kicked and old mate pushed. And Mick was still unconscious at this point, like, fully, like, and, but, like, water was starting to come out of his mouth. Mm. But, um, probably another 10 minutes and, like, we were, we were paddling, 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 and, um, he just, like, coughed, eh? Like, it was like his pulse was there, but because he was so full of water, he must have just been breathing through his nose. Mm. And then it just come out, like, this water, it must have been because I was laying on it, too. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, he just coughed up all this water and then he was talking like, like he was special, like he'd been out for so long, you know. Mm-hmm. And, um, he couldn't, couldn't talk, he was just talking like, um, yeah, just like he was, just like, lost his mind, you know. So I, I thought that he was going to be disabled or something, you know. Mm-hmm. And, um... We just kept paddling there. It took us like 25 minutes to get in with him like that. Like it was heavy. And then we got him onto the beach and dragged him up and 
kept working on him on the beach. I was just rubbing his back and getting all, trying to get all the water out, and he was just coming to then. Like, it was so crazy. And um, the Ambo's calm, and they come pretty late. We're waiting for them for, like, 25, half an hour on the beach. I, I, I don't know how they didn't have a half the beach. Yeah. Mm. But, yeah, that was a pretty wild day. Yeah, and full recovery. Full recovery. Wow, that's mind-boggling. The, the, the doc, doctors reckon because he got knocked out straight away, this is what they reckon the only reason he survived and he got that brain damage was because um, the oxygen stayed in his body. Yep. And that's what his mind was feeding off while he was out cold for so long. Wow. Yeah, because he got instantly knocked out. He was just living up, like, off that oxygen while he was unconscious, yeah. Whoa. Insane. That's the wildest story I've, I've heard in a long time. Are you kidding me? I mean, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. You're kidding me. You're kidding me. You're kidding me, right? Are you kidding me? This guy, are you kidding me? 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 Kidding me? Kidding me? You kidding me? You gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. Oh, you gotta be kidding me! You gotta be kidding me. 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 You gotta be kidding me, right? You gotta be kidding me. What? You gotta be kidding me! You gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me! You gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Come on, you gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. You gotta be kidding me. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You kidding me, right? Are you kidding me? You kidding me? You kidding me? Are you kidding me? Kidding me? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me right now? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You fucking kidding me? Are 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 you fucking kidding me? You're fucking kidding me. Fucking kidding me.